I got this email from a Be There in Five listener, and I wanted to begin by reading it. Hi, I've never done this, but saw your stories about Rachel Hollis and followed her for three, three plus years, so I thought I'd share a few of my experiences and takeaways. I discovered her through an event she was speaking at in the months before Girl Wash Your Face came out. It was just before Rise Conference in LA, I believe, because I remember wanting to go to it and literally considering scrambling together hundreds of dollars to fly from DC to LA in just a few weeks to hear this woman I just learned about for the first time. She told a story of, quote, losing the twins they had tried to adopt, me still having a lot to learn about adoption and foster care. I heard it as the sad story from her perspective that it was and didn't even see the white saviorism in it at the time, but that's a whole other topic. Anyway, from that point on, I drank the Kool-Aid. I bought the book, and it was exactly the book I needed during a really tough season in my life. I took the tough love exactly as she intended for me to, and used it to pick myself up off the ground and get my shit together. I loved it so much that I would go back and re-listen to certain chapters when I, when I needed to pick me up. It became my Bible of self-help. I listened to any and all podcast episodes she was on, so much that I can probably tell you her life story better than she can at this point. I was a faithful follower of all things Hollis, watched her morning FB Live videos with Dave every weekday, listened to all podcasts, shared her with all my friends, and was asked to be on the launch team for Girl Stop Apologizing. Can you say flattered? Because I was. I didn't love Girl Stop Apologizing as much as Girl Wash Your Face, but did really love certain parts of it, and did my part to pr promote it when the time came. I attended my first RISE conference in the summer of 2019, three weeks before let, being let go from my job, unexpectedly, and it was Rachel Hollis's words and keynotes and books that I leaned on to get through that time. In fact, I thought it was a sign that I'd heard her just weeks before that stressful period. I then went on to attend her RISE business conference in November of 2019, thinking she would give me all the secret sauces to starting my own business and screwing the corporate industry that had screwed me. That conference was the first time I saw behind the curtain of RH. On the last night of the conference, there was a sales keynote scheduled. The day was running late because they were behind schedule a bit and some people had gone over. So RH was the last keynote of the day. And when we got to the end of the scheduled time, she told us that she still had so much more to go through. And if we were willing to stick around and listen, she was willing to stick around and share the rest of what she had prepared. A lot of people got up to head to dinner, but my friend and I stayed. We felt like this would be it. This was the secret sauce and the real truth behind how RH had built the empire she had. And we weren't wrong. We got the sauce. Toward the end of the keynote, I'd imagine she was tired and not her sharpest and let her guard down a bit. And I'd imagine her team was squirming as she said, allegedly, the person who emailed me said in a story that I corroborated that Rachel said the following. You want to know why I'm so good at what I do? I'm so good at what I do because I own you. I own you. I could sell you dirty socks because I've gained your trust and your respect and you want what I have. It's not about what I'm selling. It's about the fact that I own you. And that is why I will always be successful no matter what I do. Welcome to the Rachel Hollis Deep Dive. Hi, 
everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. This podcast is called Be There in Five, more so as a representation of my curiosity to deep dive things, and I tend to run behind, and I have the best of intentions. But sometimes it is because this podcast just comes out late. And did I take the time to, you know, find a violin overlay for my theme song so I could represent the metaphor of somebody playing people like a violin? Yes, yes, I did. I apologize for the delay. I've never put out a podcast this late in the week, but there's a lot going on. And um, I couldn't quite figure out how I wanted to talk about this because there's Rachel Hollis as a whole. There's Rachel Hollis, that God awful statement and apology from this past week. Um, There's like just the scandals. I don't know. And honestly, I kept getting myself a little bit confused because I kind of tried to spend a couple days like immersed in her content. So I wouldn't just talk about it from the outside. You guys know I'm not a fan. I've talked about her on so many podcast episodes. It is hands down the most commonly asked for deep dive. It's the one I never really wanted to do because I feel I, I always felt like we were going in circles and she was messing up and messing up and getting pass after pass. And a person like me is just giving that more real estate when nothing's changing. But this past week, she messed up in a way that I think was a turning point and offered an opportunity to have a conversation about it. And I do want to talk about the the video she posted. Actually, let me just play the audio now so you have the context for it. Because I also think if you like listen to the contempt in her voice and then think about that email I just read, and I think it paints a, a, a pretty holistic picture of what we're dealing with here. Okay. Yesterday I was doing a live stream and I mentioned that there's a sweet woman who comes to my house twice a week and cleans. She's my, my house cleaner. She cleans the toilets. Someone commented and said, you are privileged AF. And I was like, you're right. I'm super freaking privileged, but also I worked my ass off to have the money to have someone come twice a week and clean my toilets. And I told her that. And then she said, well, you're unrelatable. What is it about me that made you think I want to be relatable? No, sis, literally everything I do in my life is to live a life that most people can't relate to. Most people won't work this hard. Most people won't get up at 4 a.m. Most people won't fail publicly again and again just to reach the top of the mountain. Literally every woman I admire in history was unrelatable. If my life is relatable to most people, I'm doing it wrong. What became apparent to me as I analyzed that video and then read that email that was honestly so disturbing to me, the the lighter part of me wants to, you know, put on a boxy off-white suit, grab a couple gal pals and get on some banquet chairs and scream at the top of my lungs, you don't own me. But the other part of me wants to highlight how genuinely, deeply disturbing this message is. Given her platform, her reach, the amount of access she has had and will continue to have to women, and the fact that it has absolutely nothing to do with them and everything to do with her. There are plenty of leaders to support who care, who genuinely care about women, about people and their lives. Namely, the type of women she mentioned in her caption for that video that legitimately aided and and uh, lessening restrictions so women could have more freedom, that that led women out of uh, oppression. She compared herself to Harriet Tubman, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She compared herself to Malala. 
in recapping just what the video is, I feel like it's almost condescending to you guys because you know what a problem it is to, to not only speak in such a, a manner about somebody she works with, uh, reducing her work to the most degrading task within her important role as a person providing a service, cleaning her home, saying cleans, cleans my toilets twice. And you know why she shouldn't use appropriative language like sis that takes something and means something to, to the shared values and experience and suffering of black women and use it as this condescending term of endearment to admonish her own audience member. You know why it's quite unbelievable to be even admonishing her own audience member for wanting her to be relatable, suggesting that her entire mission in life is to be unrelatable when her literally her all, all of her success, her entire empire is the result of a, uh, this is what I think was the turning point. The result of, of a 2015 photo she posted herself that achieved a great deal of virality. She was in a bikini and she was highlighting uh, her belly button and her stretch marks and that more so than a model, she wanted to be a role model for, for women like her. And that video got so much attention and praise. It had it, it, 10 plus million uh, like interactions or something like that. If I read properly on the Today Show, which I think also highlights the signs of the times we were in by the headline being mom proudly flaunts flab, comma, saggy belly button in viral bikini photo. Rachel Hollis proudly embraced the battle wounds from her pregnancy by posting a photo of herself on the beach in a bikini. Can you imagine a woman who gave birth to a human person posting a photo of herself in a bikini and allowing it to exist? That's a whole other layer of things I want to talk about. Women never being allowed to simply exist and being constantly, constantly berated with messages about how in order to be in power, we need to improve ourselves. Back to the video. Yeah, her, her, entire, her entire brand is, isn't always was to be relatable. And it's almost, it, it's, it's, it, it's, you feel gaslit watching it because you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's always been the point. She's always been the no-nonsense, just-like-you guru that wants to help you improve your life because she did. And if she can do it, you can do it. But that's always been the problem too, right? To be a person in, in 2021 and to miss the mark so badly, you'd have to be living under a rock or a, a nugget sofa uh, to not know one of the main tenets of the social dialogue of this past year was the importance for everyone, especially people in leadership positions, to acknowledge that privilege and hard work and privilege and hardship are different things. And they don't take anything from you. They, in fact, give to your audience. Because it reminds you to use that privilege to A, offset systemic disadvantages, to, to level the playing field, and beyond that, it gives them a chance to know what they can realistically compare their circumstances to. Not because we don't believe in people or because we're negative, but because when we package messages of being feminist or empowering and we don't factor in the um, vast array of experiences and identities of all women, people work pretty hard to try to discredit and distract from this, these sorts of arguments as being like too woke or, or politically correct or liberal, but they're actually just arguments of, of fairness and of empathy. There's plenty of data that supports intersectional feminism. I mean, it's just, I know you guys know this to use, I love how Emily, uh, uh, Emily in your phone, when she talks about politics, she always says the public square. Uh, th th I just mean, there's no excuse for a person of that size and scale and influence who's works with women to help women improve their lives wouldn't there there's no excuse for not being aware of those conversations and then you and then the apology you follow up with still misses the point and thinks 
that people are mad that you have a housekeeper when literally no one cares. Nobody resents anybody's like financial success or ability to afford resources. Anyway, it was all in all, it was just, it was such a bad apology. And then she had to apologize again. I'm not going to do this perfectly, but I'm going to speak from my heart. I'm so deeply sorry for the things I said in my recent post and the hurt I've caused in the past few, uh, few days. I know I've caused tremendous pain in mentioning prominent women, including several women of color, whose struggles and achievements I can't possibly understand. By talking about my own success, I diminished the struggles and hard work of many people who work tirelessly every day. I disregarded the people whose hard work doesn't afford them financial security, often due to inherently racist and biased systems. I did not allow a space for people to voice their anger, hurt, and disappointment, which caused even more pain. I acknowledge my privilege and the advantage that I have as a white woman, no matter how I grew up. Don't love the no matter how I grew up, because again, that's not what anyone's saying. There are many things that I would like to say to reiterate just how sorry I am, but the important thing for me to do now, something I should have already done, is honestly be quiet and listen. I know I've disappointed so many people, myself included, and I take full accountability. I'm so sorry. It's one of those things that, like, it is pretty crazy to have to do an apology for an apology, and that the tone of that is so, such a departure from the previous posts. I, I 100% don't think she wrote that. Like, to me, this is not cancel culture. This is this is a true example of accountability. And the problem of when cancel culture is used to stigmatize regular accountability, and then people just say it's cancel culture because the people that hate cancel culture will completely disregard any and all thing labeled as cancel culture. This is from Hillary Stewart. To everyone saying, damned if you do, damned if you don't, there's so much you're missing. Rachel took what she said from an IGTV, turned it into a TikTok, reposted it to Instagram, deleted all the comments from BIPOC educators while reaping the marketing benefits of negative press, then blamed her team. Then after days of letting her video hit the algorithm and then deleted the post and issued the correct apology only after losing 100K followers. We... No, she wasn't listening to the BIPOC educators because she was deleting their comments. It wasn't like a casual misstep that she's being trolled for. It's an entire marketing strategy, and if you take pieces out of context, it's easy to say people get too offended. If she didn't delete the post, you would be able to go back and read all the comments highlighting the problems. But now it seems like she offended someone because she's successful. It's dangerous, and it's not what happened. That is that that is that is so well said because... When you, yes, I didn't think about that part of it is erasing what actually happened and then selectively apologizing, rewriting the narrative of what happened and getting people to come to your defense in the comments out of context. Because I guess if she's as, you know, out of the loop to wait four days to even address any of this, I, I assume her, perhaps her followers are out of the loop enough to not be paying close enough attention because they don't look you know, at what she does under a microscope and they're just passing by this and they're like, geez, you guys sure are dramatic. Like, okay, uh, let's move on. Because before I read that email, I read that the email at the top of the episode at like the 11th hour when I read that one about ownership that it was so creepy to me that it like it kind of made me worry that I was talking about her in a more biographical way that was giving her the benefit of the doubt or something like, I don't know. I just don't really want to like celebrate and detail her career more so than I want to talk about the implications of this message, because if that's what I think it is, it's so troubling. And you know, I'm on high alert for, you know, charlatans, especially ones that operate in semi-religious spaces, promising people abstract things like success or happiness or salvation, hanging it over their head. So they think they, that they can achieve that thing. And that's then they need that thing and they chase that thing until they don't get that thing because the, the person knows they're never going to succeed, but they continue to chase it because the person says that they're not getting it because of their own lack of hard work. 
It happens everywhere. And this Venn diagram I'm obsessed with that I've been drawing since October. Uh, one circles cults, one circles MLMs, one circles self-help, like self-help coaches and, and like Instagram coaches and the like that I think are the new MLM. And, you know, there's kind of a circle too of like extremist religions in a sense uh, where I think that these are the spaces with extreme opportunities for abuses of power where vulnerable people go to be saved, to be helped, to make progress when they don't know where else to go. When people are feeling burdened by the very systems of oppression that exist, instead of ever addressing any broader systemic issues that could make meaningful change, these places just distract people with these weird consolation prizes of, of, of uh, personal capitalistic gain, of girl power, of perceived feminism and movement and progress, when the only thing that's happening is they're being distracted from actually making material change in the background. And I think this is particularly interesting in the context of the 2010 self-help boom, where everything was about being a badass, get shit done. And, and in Shark Tank America, after the 2016 election, when we had our first shot at a female president, after the women women's march, it was more clear than ever that we were in somewhat of a rose-colored glass ceiling where we hadn't moved at all, but it just looked a little prettier because people were trying to allegedly empower women. And those are the things that drive me insane because I feel like the entire point of, 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 you know, feminist efforts of empowerment is it's, is nothing to do with looking out for the self. You can self-empower, you can improve your skills. You can try to counteract the things that you, you know, the traits you may have developed in response to oppressive forces. I think that's what Lean In was largely trying to do, but missed the mark in a sense by, you know, suggesting the wage gap was a f function of women not being great negotiators, like completely ignoring, you know, implicit biases, motherhood bias, among many other things. And, you know, the U.S. being one of the only countries that, you know, has no statutory paid maternity and paternity leave, but that's beside the point. Um, but yeah, I, so when I got that email, I was kind of like, okay, this just makes this another layer of nefarious. And I just kind of want to be able to, I don't know, just stream of consciousness talk about like how, how weird all of this is. And now I don't know how to feel about the severity of it and ask, you know, you guys, if you wanted to send in your input or experience to for a part two, I would love that because like, so I, I checked the, with the person that emailed that in, we emailed back and forth. I proved she was there you know, part of a recording of the conference, a, you know, text thread from a friend that was there that also heard it, them talking about the verbiage of it. Like they were both so off put by this. They like completely backed off from Hollis. And the other like kind of third prong of corroborating this too, is that like, this is part, like I know, I know Rachel Hollis, she, she had a blog post about going to paying $10,000 for Tony Robbins, like business mastery class. Um, in January of 2018, right before Girl Wash Your Face came out, which I think is interesting because a lot of people kind of identify that point as almost like a fulcrum and her changing her tune from, you know, you are enough to like mega boss babe made for more. And part of me wonders if Tony Robbins is this like catalyst, um, because when I upon more research, the I own you thing is kind of part of Tony Robbins like retreat canon. And it's quite alarming. She said that time I went to see my hero. She clearly looks up to this person. She'd been to three of these courses. I find on the internet examples of people going to Tony Robbins, um, you know, retreats and 
doing this I own you exercise where he almost uses this, his problematic, irreverent, animalistic, you know, gross power dynamic infused method to like shock people to do crazy things to like allegedly, you know, get them out of their own head and trauma and irresponsibly execute, uh, you know, psychological tactics on people in the name of uh, self-improvement and an alternative method that I think is so incredibly dangerous. And if you read the BuzzFeed expose on Tony Robbins about all of his sexual assault accusations, it is so troubling. It is so scary. And I like, I, I just, I don't, I, I'll get so distracted if I talk about that because that's, this isn't about him, but him as your mentor is, is a terrifying thing where he is the protege of a man named Jim Rohn or Ron R O H N, who was uh, d- two jobs. One was the head of a pyramid scheme, and the other was a preacher. And um, you know, you can imagine I hear that in my uh, Venn diagram is you know sirens go off. And then I learn Rachel Hollis is the daughter of a Pentecostal minister, which is interesting. I I am not anti-religion, you guys. I am anti. Uh, uh, manipulative methodologies of preaching that rely on theatrics and hyperbole uh, to guilt or scare or use prosperity gospel in a way that manipulates people out of living their life, you know, in accordance with their own instincts, but rather against your really hyper-specific code of legalized religion that doesn't necessarily match what the faith is all about. Again, generalizing. But um, Rachel Hollis in the New York Times admitted that she adopts like a, 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 a kind of after watching her Pentecostal minister father, she adopts the same theatrics. So like, this is what she's doing. This is what she's trying to do. And when I realized like she's adopting verbiage from Tony Robbins, the person that one of the women that was at the conference that dipped out after she said, I own you said that she's also been to Tony Robbins stuff. And so much of it is highly derivative. Um, I, Rachel Hollis has referred to herself as a female Tony Robbins, which I didn't realize till too late in my investigation when I thought I really had something here. Um, but point being, these these things intersect and they're a huge problem because they're not about self-help at all. They're about sales tactics and feel-good vibes and making people think that for a moment you can transform them, you can change them. Um, making people have so much personal accountability that, you know, you're not on the hook. Uh, for when it inevitably doesn't work because you know your bed in a bag self-help isn't going to work. You know your fair weather feminism doesn't work. You can't possibly help people without understanding their baseline, their mental health, their history. Any therapy, any psychotherapy, any cognitive behavioral therapy, anything anybody's doing to meaningfully treat your mental health is going to have to factor in so much of your history um, and have to be so long-term to help you because it is so high risk to fuck with people's mental health. And the fact that this unregulated industry can thrive, that these people that are using tactics of, of, of preachers and, and pyramid salesmen and making their entire business about coaching, yet having no credentials, no licenses, no background in mental health, psychotherapy, counseling whatsoever. And people think these people are the experts? It's troubling. It's shocking. And then to get an email like that, allegedly, and granted, I don't know the tone. I don't know the context. It sounds pretty damning to me, though. And think about it in, a, in the context, especially when I match the tone of the video I'll play in a second that was the source of controversy this week. In that tone, to say things like, I own you, no matter what, I will succeed. 
I could sell you dirty socks. Do you think that's a, the message of somebody that's trying to help somebody? Does any best interest of another person at heart at all? No. Just like the video that she played this week, most people would wake up at 4 a.m. and work as hard as she do does and fail publicly time and time again only to reach the top of the mountain. And to compare yourself to Harriet Tubman, who, who risked everything, who related so deeply to her audience that she put her life on the line to free them, to, to free them from oppression. Ruth Bader Ginsburg fighting for women's rights for her entire life, like materially. Like what's so crazy is to compare yourself to these iconic women who's, who are marked by their selflessness and their sheer relatability to the struggles of the women they represented, but use them as a means to say uh, why you're unrelatable because you want to get to the top. None of those women had the goal of getting to the top. All of those women led by example and fought for the people they represented. And it's so fucked up to convolute those two things. And the problem is, I think I get so worked up because I'm like, to quote a person that Rachel Hollis has plagiarized, Dr. Maya Angelou, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And this is the, the 50th time Rachel Hollis has shown us exactly who she is, a person who does not give a shit about any of the people she allegedly helps and is only using self-help as a product to get herself to the top, where she's a Tony Robbins-type character who has a plane and an island, by the way, with countless sexual assault allegations toward him for yelling at, at victims of abuse, putting them next to their abusers and reminding them why they love them, of, of forcing people to publicly uh, process trauma way before they're ready, of keeping people in rooms for 12 hours at a time with no water or food. So they're borderline hallucinatory while they walk on coals and do crazy shit. And maybe it works for some people, but the allegations, again, I'll put the BuzzFeed article in the episode notes, are so damning. It's terrifying to me that Rachel's trying to replicate that with women. Part of my issue with this deep dive is like I've recorded a version that's like worked up like I am now. And then I'd be like, am I crazy? Is this just fluff? Like, am I overthinking this? But then I'd realize, no, this is exact. like any, even if it doesn't end up being a big problem, it, it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck. And it's important to push back on leadership. It's important to critically think about these things. It's important to have thoughtful analysis when it comes to the leadership influencing the masses. And, and I speak passionately about this because Rachel Hollis is really freaking popular, really popular. And in the self-help category that targets vulnerable women, where there is an opportunity for an abuse of power with an uncredentialed person. And I think before I was like, well, maybe she doesn't mean to. But no, focus and inclusion are separate things. And you can focus on target audiences and focus on certain groups of women without excluding the fact that you know that this does not work for everybody. And she actively excludes that. She, she her entire, in Girl Wash Your Face, she spoke to, to, you know, young mothers, you know, talking about how they need to be more and do more and they aren't meeting their dreams because of their own it's their own fault. It's in their own heads. They're in their own way. Their life is in their control. But then thanks in the footnotes and it finally acknowledges that she has help but never says it in the body. And it's stuff like that where I'm like, as much as I want to think I'm misunderstanding the tone of, of whatever you said about owning people, because surely someone in the business of lifting up and empowering other women wouldn't offer up that their business secret is mimicking an emotionally abusive dynamic for profit. Would they? I don't know, you guys. Part of me thinks that, yes, they absolutely would. Keith Raniere did. And 
Reading that email made my palms sweat like Keith Mary's knee pads, if I'm honest. He's a monster. Uh, do I think she's starting a sex slave ring? No. But do I think Keith Raniere operated that for a long time under the guise of executive success programs and self-improvement and overcoming, you know, limiting thoughts and using similar psychological tactics as Tony Robbins and literally deploying the thing Tony Robbins is an expert in NLP neuro-linguistic programming? Like that is, that's alarming. And, and these people are mentoring people like Rachel who are influencing mass amounts of women and just like funneling the MLM industry. And I don't know what to do about it. And then I, re I listen back and I get embarrassed. So I'm like, you need to, you know, you need to calm down. You're being too loud. But then I'm like, no, but, but what, what's the point of this life if, if not to speak up? If you're worried that there's an issue where vulnerable people are being taken advantage of, you know? So I think that my problem is, is like, I feel like that, that email freaked me out. It seems damning and cult-like. I have no tangible proof, but I just wanted to talk it out in the event that that's what was going on here because it was concerning to me. I thought I could talk it out and kind of talk about how I feel like this fits in the broader zeitgeist. I could read some listener emails and through all these things, we could talk about some of the broader problems of plagiarism, of misleading people, of, of you know, her divorce and the fact that they up until the very last minute were telling people that they uh, were doing well and giving real people real marriage advice that they were going to deploy on their real relationships without ever acknowledging their marriage was crumbling. That just goes to show like the level of deceit. The priority isn't the people. Their priority is the product. I don't know. We might go, be all over the place. This episode also kind of assumes you're like pretty well-versed in Rachel Hall, so I guess I should back it up a notch. But um, before the deep dive like was a little biographical and I just felt like it was, it was a, more about her life than all the things that are wrong and I just didn't want to do that. And then I had stuff to do this weekend and, you know, thank you for your patience. And <laughs> this isn't a professional operation. I'm an independent podcaster and um, I'll take on topics that are maybe a little more than the bandwidth I have. But I just wanted to be able to talk about this so it wasn't a pop culture story that like faded and then we never we never extracted meaning from, you know. What I want for this podcast is to always be talking about why things matter and not just what happened. And I feel like there might be saturation of people talking about what happened with the Rachel video, but I think that providing the broader context of why this has always been a problem in the event, it's helpful. I'd love to love to chat. So thank you for joining me. If you're new, if, if you've been here a while, <laughs> I know that me processing on air can be exhausting. But to be clear, the core things that to me are wrong with Rachel Hollis are the commodification of self-help from a credentialist place that tells people exactly how to live their lives only against the blueprint of her life specifically or of kind of plagiarized self-help uh, concepts from other people and places. Uh, it, it just seems like she pivoted to follow where the money is, modeled her business after like a Tony Robbins type and is like trying to get to the top of the mountain, not because she's such a good, she's so good at her job of helping people, but because she's such a brilliant marketer. And that's messed up in this category. It's a big, it's a problem, I think. Um, I also think that, you know, back, going back to her books, like the, when I first read Girl, Wash Your Face, um, she never acknowledges that her husband was a Disney executive when she started these businesses, um, which I think is an issue people have with the privileges because it unrealistically depicts like pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You can do it. It's your fault go for yours, but it is, it's, it is different when you have a safety net or a safety McMansion 
And it is different when uh, you won't actually be hung out to dry and desolate should it not work. And it'd be one thing if you were Brandy Glanville writing a book about your life stories and given, you know, casual tips, people would know to take it with a grain of salt categorically alone. But you're in self-help. You hold conferences where you, where you preach to women like you're at a mega church. I mean, guys, these... Ugh, okay, let me back up. <laughs> okay, it's high level. So we're all on the same page. Rachel Hollis is a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, her two most famous books are Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing. These books performed incredibly well. She sold over four and a half million books. She has, uh, you know, a media company, a, a fitness app, a company of like journals and planners. She has uh, podcasts that are some of the most successful in the world, allegedly, according to her website. Um, she has, yeah, books, podcasts, YouTube videos, millions of followers on social media, though I think she's lost like 200,000 this week. Uh, she had a target line. Um she has been on Good Morning America, the Today Show. She spoke at, um, alongside Oprah at the 2020 Vision, Your Life in Focus tour. When Quibi was happening, allegedly, she had a talk show. Can't believe I missed it. Um, she has an entire brand surrounding her relatability of being just like you, and her entire message is that you are in control of your life. And in the event you are not in control of your life, it is not because of any systemic disadvantages. It is not because of anything outside of your control. It is because of the lies you tell yourself. And most notably, the thing I've become obsessed with and have listened to a lot of recordings from is what she calls the RISE conference. And this is what is like MLM-tastic. She, she advertises that RISE is a three-day event for gold chasers, dreamers, hardworking hustlers ready to reach for more. And fills the seats with, with uh, you know, stay-at-home moms and people that want to work on their marriages and parenting with um, small business owners, with, um, you know, multi-level marketing participants, with some entrepreneurs. Like, they have something they want they are, or they are struggling or, or they actually are, like, actively seeking something. And, and she is, is posing as their savior in a sense preaching that they have total control yet in order to activate their total self-control she has to be the one that teaches them and guys these these rise conferences like you have to look up one on youtube it's very fascinating and like it's my own personal hell but i can see how the sense of community and the amount of times rachel platten's fight song um plays you know it might be like fun in a sense but like it's messianic. It's creepy. It's, it's almost like she's being worshipped and given her acknowledgement of like a Pentecostal theatrical approach in the New York Times. I was kind of like, this is weird. It, 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 women come from all over and stand up and dance and look like intoxicated as they raise their hands and worship almost as if we're at a Jars of Clay concert. And I know because I've been to one. <laughs> uh, Reliant K was there too. It was, you know, to be fair, to Paramount's King's Dominion. Um, but don't pity me so much as you mercy me, because, my God, I wanted to hear I Can Only Imagine the Butterfly Kisses of the Christian rock world, but they didn't show. Anyway, good times. Uh, I don't know, you guys. I, it's, it's a fascinating spectacle where it looks really cute and, you know, has a fresh balayage and midi rings and 
you know, is preaching this message of aggressive self-reliance that ironically requires the audience to rely on her for how they can capitalize on the self, delivering a really strong borderline yelling message that leaves me more distressed than her denim. It like looks fun on the outside, but it's also really stressful to listen to. I, I, I want to be so clear. I, I never, ever want to be like a woman who just is, seems like I'm not supporting other women or is making fun of people or just like for doing this for kicks. I, I talk about one, if, if I wanted to just like drag her, if I, if this was like personal or something, like I would have done this deep dive years ago. I've been talking about this for a long time, but never really felt like it was worth doing a, a full episode. Cause again, I don't like to shit on people. It's, it's, it's not my style. Like I said, um, and I feel for these women, like I, you know, I make Ray Dunn jokes. I just don't like the font. It's kind of comic sansy, but, um, like I'm, I'm about to play you a video and I, and I, and these are the, these are the women I don't want to defend the ones like manipulating their friends into going into debt and buying tickets and, um, kind of telling them to like hustle, even when the money's not there so they can get to the top of their literal pyramid, like. There's so many data, so much data and so many exposés on multi-level marketing companies that truly, like, this is the her audience. Um, I mean, by and large, a large majority of, I gather, allegedly, uh, because of the research I did. But the, yes, it's important to support other women, but it's not important to support other women just for the sake of being the same sex. It's important to support other women that are, I don't know. Like, in my opinion, taking their, like, leadership position seriously in that to so, to use the argument of su women supporting women, you need to support women who support all women. And my argument here is that not only is the, the methodology that kind of ignores that there's a lot of reasons women might not be able to use her philosophy to succeed and that it, it in fact, in not really understanding how much money or time or bandwidth it takes, like, could lead them to financial ruin – it's not supporting women at all. And I think when you add it in the context of how so many of her conference attendees are um, people from MLMs, as we talked about at length, and I think too in the context of her being a you know keynote speaker at so many MLM conferences, like so many, her, I think her business coaching, even if you take the self-help, self-development out of it, like the business coaching is pretty geared toward this sort of business model where you're not an entrepreneur in a sense of like having equity in something you're having to front load inventory and you know buy things to make your upline richer and under the guise of feminism which is just a whole other level of messed up because so many people that own mlms are men and they actively exploit these marketing tactics to make women feel empowered and i think that the i mean it kills me too so she's she's been better about this in recent years um so many of the speakers were men, like so many. I passed a billboard on my way to O'Hare once, and it was her and four dudes <laughs> inviting me to this women's empowerment conference. Like nobody saw the irony in that. This is what I mean. It's like, it's like it's there's what it's called, and then there's impor the importance of looking at what it actually is, because it would be intuitive to a woman factoring in, you know, who would empower women, whose stories would really mean the most, who who she, who she could offset her like narrow experience with, help represent other women, like. That, that should be a leader's default setting, but it's just about like the most notable people, the most powerful people, the people that, you know, uh, the, the Gary V's of the world that 
she wants to have talking to people. And it just, I don't know why it drives me absolutely crazy, but so you don't think I'm being mean. Like, I just want you to listen to conversations because I, I you know, I'm in the grave air of, of finding that a lot of times MLM people like get their whole downline on a zoom call, like 30 people or something. And then they'll recap like self help leadership development conferences. And I started watching people recapping the rise conference. And it's really interesting to hear people full on drinking the Kool-Aid, like in real time. And they kind of like yell at their teams that they like all of these aggressive messages of doing better and being better and like not worrying if, you know, they don't have money in their bank account, they should still go anyway. And I'm just like, what? So I just want to play this so you understand the context of where I'm coming from. Like, I want to, I'm a woman who wants to support the vulnerable women I fear could get preyed on, who are in difficult life situations, financial situations, who are single mothers, who are moms just like trying to get by that want to, you know, maybe have some more income that are, that have well, that are so well-intentioned yet are being really misled by these kind of, like I said, bed in a bag, self-help solutions that package things that are hardly one size fits all into a one size fits all manner. That sounds really good. It's good vibes all around, but in practice, hugely depend on your individual circumstances in a way that could cause detriment to the, to the individual. And quite often does, as we've learned with exposés about LuLaRoe, Herbalife, oh my God, the Netflix documentary about um, the essential oils, Dutera. I mean, the people at the helm of these companies, like a lot of them are scam artists. And it's just so interesting to me how there's like the segment of people who like openly acknowledges this and the segment of people that like really doesn't care and ignores it and still seem to think it's appropriate to prey on their friends and family and to get them to join their team. That's number one, get to the next freaking event, whether you think you can afford it or not. I went to conference, my first conference, I was maintaining executive. I made a hundred dollar paycheck that month, you fools. And I put my account $80 in the negative, 80. I didn't even have money to, I split McDonald's with Carly. I know she's on here. Go to a Rachel Hollis conference, they're next year, start saving up. No excuses, get yourself plugged in because I can tell you what, I went to that event because it was at the end of the year. I wanted something to finish me out so that I could start 2020 with 2020 vision. So get to an event, pour into yourself because not only did that pour into us, now us as leaders get to pour into our teams, okay? We know something, something in the freaking air. I'm willing to put it all out there, to wake up a little earlier, to do all the things I hate, which, you know, might be considered suffering in different ways. I mean, things that you don't like, I feel like could be considered a suffer. Suffer now so you can live the rest of your life a champion. I'm willing to put those things on hold and to do the things that make me uncomfortable, to do the things that I don't like. <laughs> you just talked about how, oh, I don't know how to say it, how he said it, so I'm just gonna say it. Just love me. He said something about like, we don't have to physically kill ourselves because some of us are doing it a little each day. Maybe that didn't make your goosies happen, but like when he said it in there, however he said it, I was like, holy freaking shiz. Some of us every single day, we're killing ourselves a little, 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 little every day because we're not living the life that we were created here for. That Understand the importance of making decisions today that your future self will thank you for, not hate you for. I've struggled with my weight loss for four years now. And have I been consistent enough to lose the weight, get it off? Have I been consistent enough to be in my business where I want to be? No. Next one. When the money stops showing up, will you still show up? That one hit me. Because so many times do people text me when their paycheck drops and they stop showing up. 
they stop working, they stop posting, they stop leading their team, they stop getting on the Zooms because people stop showing up. They lose rank and they lose their entire vision, their entire dream, their entire mentality of this business because their paycheck drops. So who will you be when your check drops? Will you still be the person that works their business even through the valleys because you see the mountain? Are you going to chicken out and you're going to peace out and sit back and be like, eh, you know, it was a good run. Do you think Rachel Hollis, what do you think she did when she saw that fifth book still get only 10 people to buy it? What if she would have stopped then? There would be no rise. We would not be doing this soon. We wouldn't be filled up. She wouldn't be a freaking gazillionaire and she wouldn't have wrote the second most popular, most selling book in the whole world. You have to be great at saying no to the things that don't get you closer to your yes. Stop watching Netflix every single day. Stop going to the bar every single night. Stop hanging out with people who do not make you better. Stop saying yes to things that don't add value to your business because I'm going to tell you what, you saying yes to Netflix doesn't pay you. You saying yes to going out every single night makes you broke. You saying yes to going shopping all the time and doing this and doing that and hanging out with people that make you worse what value is that adding to you? Absolutely nothing. And if you have people in your circle that don't make you better, question maybe that's why you're still where you are right now and you've been trying to get to the next level. That may be it. When I tell you I'm triggered, when I tell you that's everything I don't want to be, when I tell you the shame culture is real, when I tell you that it's all propagated by Rachel Hollis, when I tell you that this is all she wants to do is intimidate and scare and like bully people into allegedly being them, their best selves. But all it does is shame them into thinking that they're not doing enough and make them addicted to the product that she is supplying of aggressive self-reliance. That just it's it's a cycle. It's it's insanity. And the the fact do you hear the passion with these these women speak with in her defense in her, promoting her further saying I, I had negative eighty dollars in my bank account but go anyway, guys like. The way they're talking about like pursuing the dream and never giving up and pushing the paycheck and surrounding people that are like making you the best. They're like literally selling powders you like that dissolve in drinks. Not to trivialize the product, but good Lord. This is the problem with that sort of like evangelical style of, of business coaching is that it, 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 it illuminates insecurities that aren't there. It, it makes people think that there's a deficit that they never felt before. And then when it's pointed out, they can't ignore it. And they're chasing something. It's, I, I don't even know, like, I don't know. You, I, I think that you guys hearing how stressful that was, first and foremost, I hope was helpful with context. But also, if that wasn't stressful for you, let me know. If that was motivational, maybe it's just me. I really hope, I, I call this episode Town Hollis because I have a private joke with myself that I, when I listen back to my episodes, I call it a town Hollis because I'm so freaking terrified of, of, of coming across as her, of, of being a little too strong in my advice or narrow in my experience. Like I have a creepily similar background to her, if I'm being honest. And it's a bit of a mind fuck at times because I, like we both have multipreneurial backgrounds. We both have pivoted as a result sometimes of necessity. Um, but I can't express how deeply, deeply I do not want to follow anywhere near her path, nor make a syllabus out of my narrow life experience in a way that she has. And I worry about being hypocritical, but I hope like above all else, I would, my nightmare is, is like shaming you guys. I don't even want to shame people that were fans of Rachel Hollis per earlier when I said like, I get it. Like it is helpful. She's distilling concepts that are very popular and genuinely help people, but they just have to be done in the right hands. If not, they'll change your mind for the wrong reasons. That's how brainwash happens. It's stuff. It's the same stuff people use in actual like therapy it, very often. 
but you can use a way to change your mind and reframe your thoughts for good or for evil. And that's why these people can be dangerous if they're under the training of people like Tony Robbins and co that are like using neuro-linguistic programming. Um, but I just think like, I'm so tired of this era of, of like hustle of glorifying the, the volume of hours you work of this, like glamorizing turmoil adds to your story or mystique. And, and people think it's like some sort of competition with the volume of hours you work. What? It's nothing to do with that. It's incredibly unhealthy. It's not to make me respect you more. It's that that's very 2010s shark tank culture of like, I don't know, rise and grind. I think my hypothesis at times is Rachel Hollis froze when she was famous. Like, you know, how people say you freeze when you're famous. It's like almost so traumatic and unusual that you stop maturing because you get so much attention. It's like she froze in peak girl boss, zero fucks, unfiltered. Uh, you know, you are a badass, almost, um, you know, era of, of inflating women's sense of individualistic empowerment. Uh, she froze in that era of women having to be like bullish to be respected. Okay, I'm going to play you another clip from her. This, this is a person who sells her business story as rags to riches, motivating women like the ones you just heard from being like, what if Rachel hadn't written the book and she wouldn't have been the number two in the world? What if she did a, she had a husband who was like sea level at Disney, not SEA like sea world, but like C as in <laughs> Catherine Middleton. <laughs> I'm embarrassed, but why is her, why is Catherine a C and Kate a K? I, a lot of people do that. I'm just curious. I've never looked that in because I'm a Catherine, um, but it's interesting when it goes from C to K. Uh, happy for her, though. And um, yes, he was an executive at Disney and made a lot of money. And that is a contribution to her starting her business. And you know how I always clarify, like when I tell my business story, like for the love of God, don't quit your job because how you tell your story matters. And if I said that, like quit your job and sell doormats, like I would screw so many people over and they would make no money. People like in the event, somebody really respected or admired me. Uh, I don't recommend that. But like, if you did, that would be so dangerous. And she's telling millions of people that her life starting these companies and pivoting over and over ultimately to be this like marketing expert that allegedly like helps people, but is really just helping them market to other people without them realizing she's marketing to them, the ultimate pyramid scheme. It's so crazy to me. That she wrote Girl Wash Your Face, void of any context of money or help or whatever, and that she still motivationally speaks at her conferences with this rags to riches story, and still, still, based on her comment, her recent comment doesn't get that hard work and privilege are different things, that hardship and privilege are different things. Nobody's taking away that her childhood was hard. Nobody's taking away that she didn't have, she had a socioeconomic disadvantage. That's certainly part of it. But when she started her business and the blueprint starts for her business, it doesn't start with like having money it starts from her childhood which is not when she started her businesses and like a rags to riches story to be self-made you know maybe in the kylie jenner you know canon of of uh women's empowerment like sure you're self-made so am i like i'm college educated and and that paid me to have a good job that i could bank a bonus that i could work two jobs for a year and then quit and then run through that money in two years to the point where I realized, holy crap, it is so expensive to run a business. It's hard to make progress. It doesn't feel nominal. 
And I found myself hung out to dry in a position where I felt like I was living this alleged entrepreneurial dream that all these books and the zeitgeist was convincing me I wanted and needed. And it was my fault for not being a multimillionaire or loving it. And I stayed into it in it for way too long. And actually, the irony of my arc is that I didn't find my footing in my career until I stopped reading that stuff. And I just did what I liked. More on that later. Okay, listen to this hyper stressful clip of Rachel telling people um, it, it's like a clip about like time management, like NBD. But it's so stressful. And then comments are turned off, which I said, think says a lot. And like, this is just how she talks to people. Run of the mill. Your average, think, think about the person that's having a, you know, a bad mental health day, who's a single mother, who is struggling to get by, who's a working mom, who's a stay-at-home mom, is overwhelmed, who's like, the people that, that subscribe to her shit are, are, are struggling. And this is how she talks to them. And it's just, I just, I take issue with it. And I don't know if I'm being too dramatic. And that is why I need a second episode where you guys write me. The only thing you have is time. It is the great equalizer. It is the only thing that all of us get the same amount of. You might not have the same amount of connections. You might not have the same amount of money, but you and I have the same amount of time. You say that you don't have time for your dreams, but then your Facebook status is how you loved to binge watch the new season of whatever, or you tell me you don't have time and I'm gonna ask you how much time you spent on social media yesterday. I'm gonna ask you how many things you pinned into your dream board of the life that you want. You spend all your time pinning pictures of your dream life or scrolling and looking at other pictures of people's lives that you wish that you had and you're sad that you don't have those lives, but you tell me you don't have enough time? Start by being honest with yourself. You got the time, you're just not making it. I hope that illustrates the way she speaks to people. I guess it works for some. As evidenced by the young ladies that want you to go into debt to go to her conference to sell powders. I get frustrated because I, I, you hear stories of how she ruins lives and people wrote in who didn't want me to read their stories who've subscribed to a lot of this stuff and experienced a great deal of like shame and, and inadequacy as a result as if women don't already have it hard enough. I just, all like, all I'm, I think that what I realized with this episode is like, I just want the message to be like, you are fine. You are enough. You don't need to improve. <laughs> you should be empowered by who you are fundamentally. If you don't mind uh, <laughs> a brief ad break, as I do need to uh, support Tugboat's lifestyle he's become accustomed to, <laughs> I want to thank this week's sponsors. The first being, uh, you know, appropriate to this episode, uh, You've probably heard a lot of people talk about Ritual Vitamins, but I always like to remind people that the origin of the company is that the founder was pregnant and was trying to find, like, vitamins. And there were so many synthetic fillers and nonsense and really convoluted supply chains with the supplements that were out there that she wanted to make her own. And when she went around, like, seeking funding and pitching this, uh, she was told by the men she was talking to to pick, uh, pick one start a family or start a company. And what did she do? She did both. We love to see it. Her ritual vitamins, uh, clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin is formulated with the high-quality nutrients in, in bioavailable forms your, your body can actually use. No sugars, GMOs, major allergens, synthetic fillers, or artificial colorants. I'm obsessed with this, like, the taste delay. The prenatal ones are, like, citrusy, and the uh, regular women's multivitamin has this great mint aftertaste. And I, I, I pay for this out of pocket. Like I, I, I really like this product. 
I like that it comes to me every month because it reminds me of, geez, I'm not taking these every day. I really should be better about this. And I, I'm on a better uh, regimen now. And they have vitamins that fit different lifestyles, women, teens, men, uh, prenatal, and they're traceable. You'll always know what nutrients you're taking and where they come from, thanks to Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain. Ritual is delivered to you every month or to your door every month, free shipping always. You can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription anytime. And if you don't love it, within your first month, they'll refund your first order. I really think you will love this as much as I do. I wouldn't tell you if, if I didn't. And get key nutrients without the BS. Ritual's offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash be there in five to start your ritual today. The next advertiser, it's a, a, a group of women I love that work in the Helix marketing department that were one of the first companies to take a shot on my podcast and I will love them forever for it but I'd love them either way because Helix mattresses are so freaking comfortable and I'm excited because I'm going to visit my sister soon who just moved to California and obviously I made her get a Helix mattress so I can sleep on one wherever I go. Uh, Helix is awesome because it it's really it's a little daunting to buy a mattress off the internet you've never you know sat on but we all know mattress stores are like a weird cover anyway and helix sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you whether you're a side sleeper or a hot sleeper like a plush or firm bed with helix there's no more confusion and no more compromising on an average mattress i gotta say i'm a stomach sleeper but i uh and i kind of like put my head to the side but i got a new ear piercing over the weekend because like i'm a 12 year old at the piercing pagoda at the galleria apparently and like people people of america that sleep with your head up wow why it's so uncomfortable i'm having a really hard time uh anyways helix sleep was even awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by gq and wired magazine I can never sing its praises enough. And the good thing is to, so you're not too nervous to buy a mattress online. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll legitimately pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Just go to helixsleep.com slash be there in five, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Dang, I gotta find another person to send a mattress to. <laughs> gotta get those pillows. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash be there in five. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash be there in five for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Okay, so one thing that like just I think is interesting to point out period about girl wash your face is um, in the back on the acknowledgments, she says, people ask me how I do it all. And the honest truth is I absolutely don't. Behind the scenes is an incredible loving friend and sister who takes care of my kiddos when work or travel takes me away from them. That's awesome. That's fine. I hope to have child care someday um, so I can work. Like, I, I hope to be able to afford it. Uh, no, again, it's just like the housekeeper thing. Like, nobody resents you having help. I resent you telling people they don't have enough time and it is their fault for not following their dreams and making them feel like utter shit with that video for somebody that's already probably down, telling them that they can do it all and be it all and that they're holding themselves back for the, from their dreams because if you have the time, they have the time. And I get what you're saying is that everybody has the same amount of time because time is consistent. But what you're not saying is how much fucking help you have. <laughs> and that's a huge problem. It's a problem with bloggers. It's a problem everywhere. Like time is not the same. When you can outsource time is not the same when you have different access to resources. And that's what I mean with this blueprint. You cannot 
you cannot use somebody else's blueprint to build your home when you don't have the same foundation and you lack their tools. It's ridiculous. It's dangerous. And this happens throughout Girl Wash Your Face in so many different ways. Please don't be mad. I did not read Girl Stop Apologizing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, to be fair, I felt like I had what I needed from GWYF. Um, it's just, it's, it's a world where repression doesn't exist, where, where suffering doesn't exist. It's a world where, um, we're, we're, we need to be cheering on women. And it appears to be that way when we're actually shaming them for things beyond their control, all while talking to them in the most infantilizing manner with like girl boss, babe, or appropriately like gangster sis. So when your entire goal is to equalize people, equalize time, equalize this. I'm just like, you be relatable, but you're like screaming at people. And you know, she's not a counselor. She's not a licensed coach. She's not a physician. She's not a psychiatrist. She's very transparent about how she's taught is self-taught and everything. But it goes to show you when you like Google self-help advice, you're just going to get Pinterest quotes. And then when you speak in them, it's incredibly, uh, transparent and gets you caught. And, and then when you speak in just like your regular people terms from your own internalized issues, the quotes come out like this. This is in this. This is what what Rachel Hollis had to say about dieting and exercise. Humans were not made to be out of shape and severely overweight. Tug was furious. You can choose to continue to abuse your body because it's all you know. You can choose to settle for a half-lived life because you don't even know there's another way. But please, please stop making it excuses for the why. She talks about how if your friend would like make plans with you and always flake out and break them, how you wouldn't respect her. It implies that if you break promises to yourself about your diet, you shouldn't respect yourself. That you, you, that you have an issue, that you, you're not a person of integrity uh, should you choose to uh, deviate from your weight loss plan because humans were not made to be out of shape. Um, I don't need to tell you why that's a problem. I don't need to tell you why that's deeply offensive and problematic and damaging and triggering and uh, uh, it, it, the, the, I trouble like that. I get so worked up when I read these excerpts because I am trying to be reasonable and I want to explain this in a way that like factors in the big picture. Cause unfortunately we've known about excerpts like this for a long time. But when I talk about the big picture and I read a pixel like this, it should have ended there. You know, like the fact that we got so far past this is a reminder of how many passes and excuses we give people and what a privilege it is for people to even be able to get away with this much when we cancel people and destroy them for so much less or for things that were so much longer ago. And the reason I both promote aggressive accountability and evolution of, of thought um, and, and forgiveness when it's appropriate, when there's earnest effort, is because I find this the commentary like this uh, the, the, her philosophy toward weight to be so infuriating because I don't think like, I think for a lot of women, my age, it has taken so long to deconstruct and, and, uh, rebuild the way we think about ourselves, our bodies and the rights people have to talk about and judge our bodies freely because like I have said, pop culture matters. Our environment matters. And the if you were in your formative years, if you were young, a teenager, college, whatever, in the early mid-aughts, oh my God, I, I in no way am trying to play a victim or, or make excuses when I say we lived in a world that was so comically not feminist. 
I grew up in Virginia, so I don't know if there's regional implications. I don't know. But honestly, a lot of the, what I'm talking about has nothing to do with like my my, my parents or my family or, or my immediate friends. Like I had a great life. Don't get me wrong. I am privileged beyond belief. But I do think it's worth mentioning what the, the um, environment was like pop culturally in ways I still think about it and it, and it genuinely still affects me because it taught me what people value about women. It taught me what I should value about myself. And this was the era when I programmed my brain to a default setting that is very, very hard to reprogram when you get older. In 2003, when people were uh, steamrolling and burning Dixie Chick CDs, when I watched Bill O'Reilly, a, a newscaster on a national program, call them the Dixie Sluts, sexualizing them for having a political opinion. I really think it's it's been so long. People forget the way people used to feel comfortable talking about women and their bodies. That's why I, I've been getting frustrated with the side part discussion and the skinny jean discussion and at times the low rise jean discussion. Because Gen Z genuinely doesn't understand that it's 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 not about like seeming uncool or dated in the way we dress. Um, it, it's that it's taken a really long time for clothing to uh, evolve in a way that just like I was talking about earlier with our characteristics in the workplace, clothing too, it was the style back then you had to modify your body to fit into clothes and now clothes can fit you. So, you know, Gen Z can suck it. Uh, they don't know what it was like to copper tone baby all around town in a low rise jean. I mean, I'm being dramatic, but I think everything, I think back to, uh, so we did take dance lessons. I grew up in Virginia. We took dance lessons and um, they were called cotillion, but it's not like I was a Deb or anything. It was just, we learned ballroom dancing, uh, in sixth grade and we would line up girls and boys and the girls and boys would like shuffle around and try to line up with the girl or guy they thought was hot. And you notice when people weren't shuffling for you and when you have to wear a floor length dress to the Holly ball and you're five, eight and you are 12 years old and it, you cannot find a floor length dress for the life of you. It's a little uncomfortable beyond that. I was so much taller than the dudes and they at cotillion. I don't know if they still do this, but I, even, even I thought this was weird when I was in sixth grade. The women have to wear white gloves because the boys' hands get sweaty. Is that not a life metaphor if you've ever heard one? I, I don't try to nitpick. I'm not trying to call shit where, where it doesn't exist. But I, I think about these things, and it's important to think about these things because that these things make me realize why I get so enraged when people package messages of women's empowerment and feminism in ways that don't actually move the needle, that trick people into thinking it does, and that actually further hold women back. And I was watching these sweet moms and, and young women on these MLM calls, just really trying to better their life, genuinely, coming from a really, really good place, being utterly manipulated because they don't know better. Uh, and I got off track, but I just think you have to be so careful. And granted, I don't have a self-help podcast, but like if I did, I sure as hell wouldn't say things like, um, you know, she insinuates about how her and her, uh, what's it called, roommate, they survived off of like diet pills and they started hallucinating at one point, but then suggest that they became less attractive when they gained all the weight back with like 40 pounds. And I'm like, you have to be careful how you position that. It's fucked up. So you're, you're glamorizing how you looked when you were taking diet pills and hallucinating and like giving people like ideas, essentially. I don't know. Am I overreacting? I just feel like it's, it's, it's troubling. Um, one thing I do want to clarify too the whole chapter about how she met her husband, I think, is something that a lot of people have, like, always hung on to. It, it really um, painted a picture of this guy that, like, brought 
her to bars and ignored her when, you know, he would, well, he would hit on other women. Um, he would, she talks about giving her virginity to him because you didn't, she didn't know how else to keep him interested. She talks about like the, the first year being utterly awful and how he'd call her only at night when he's been drinking, but like ignore her during the day. It's this whole message of tr letting people, like you let people treat you the way you want to be treated. And that's something that like is a trope or a cliche I've heard my whole life that I, in adult life, you rethink those things and you're like, holy, holy abuse. Like that, that again, making it your fault if somebody is treating you a certain way and you've taught them that way. And again, this is not, this is, this is not low Bosworth's memoir about her account of her time in seasons one and two of Laguna Beach. Like this is a person telling people how to live their lives. It's not the same as other people telling stories and giving advice. And it's so dangerous for people to be giving, uh, like telling these types of no nonsense stories without considering the repercussions in this category because she's never lived another experience. Because again, it's, it's feminism without accounting for all the experiences of different women. Um, I just, it's, I just find it frustrating. And then, uh, it's almost like when you read the chapter about her husband, you kind of pause and you're like, God, who's that guy? And then you realize she married him. And it's almost this narrative of like, if you stick it out, if you stay, it gets better. The, the mind games stop. And it's like, oh my God, no. It's like it, the fact that people idealize her life and she's normalizing, I don't know if it's fair to call it mental abuse, but like it, it, it it's, it's a fascinating thing where she's an example of a woman who's like, you control your fate, you control your destiny, go for yours, go for more. It, it's almost like this narrative that you would think is like, get out of situations that don't serve you. Don't listen to what anyone else thinks. Um, but at the same time, it, it, she persevered in a really toxic relationship. And, you know, the moral of the story is eventually he respected me. Stick it out. If he comes to your door, take him back. And it was like, oh, my God. Like, just even even if it's for some of these things, it's like you're taking it out of context. You're overreacting. Like, I get the I get that it's easy to see things that way. But but if you've never been in a situation where there are certain uh, like elements of abuse or or socioeconomic factors or whatever that make you unable to like, I don't know, I, I was um, there was a Kate. So I have a series called Kate Lila. Uh, or people call in and ask me advice. And obviously it's like, this is an entertainment podcast, but, and I try not to answer questions that are like, you know, would impact people on like a level where I could potentially like harm them or anything, but I just want people to feel good and encourage them. And I want them to feel like enough. And um, I remember one time somebody called in and asked saying like, I know that somebody's husband is cheating on them like do I tell her like what do I do and I think that you know if you're in a Facebook group or something the advice online is going to be like yes bitch like you know break that couple up tell her tell him to tell her to tell him to fuck off and she you know Charlotte York uh I curse the day you were born type stuff like I get it uh but that that like if you're in a position of leadership with an audience, like if you're a person telling a lot of people what to do and sharing advice, like it is your duty to consider and caveat things like, 
you first need to know if that person is safe. If you tell her or tell him and you do not know that that person is in an environment where she can safely exit or safely address something, or if he finds out in some way and holds it against her, like when you, we only come from a place of our own experiences, we we run the risk of of compromising women's well-being and safety in the off chance they're in an abusive situation. And I think that sometimes advice can be really reckless in that sense of everything these days is like, I feel like it's skewed more empathetic in recent years. But do you remember when everything was like, yes, be petty, be savage, snake, 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 snake. It was like Taylor Swift peak reputation takedown. Oh, wow. That was in 2016. I got to let that marinate in how I talk about you are a badass, zero fucks, unfiltered, listen to nobody, bulldoze culture. Because Rachel Hollis, in a quote she plagiarized, says somebody else's opinion of you is none of your business. She quite literally lives by that and how she left up her problematic video for four days listening to nobody else's opinion, making it none of her business. When quite literally, if you're in the business of people and people's interest in your product is the entire reason it has value, I'd argue that somebody else's opinion is your only business. Uh, That's just another example of how misguided this bullshit is. To round out that, the relationship piece, I just... one of my initial issues was the way that she spoke about this horribly emotionally abusive relationship, essentially. And then like, it was like, yeah, and now he's my husband and we lived happily ever after. And it was almost this like hollow bullshit rom-com, like, okay, you know, we, we get it. Like Matthew McConaughey, Kate Hudson, they duped each other. You know, they lied to each other for their entire first meeting. They fell in love. She went to Staten Island. They had sex in the shower to that Chantal woman song, Home, that is gorgeous and is what sisterhood night video and sororities or dreams are made of. That sounds like, it feels like home to me. <laughs> uh, you know, and then they, they're in a fight and then like, He rides a motorcycle to catch her and eventually catches her and they kiss and it's like they live happily ever after. But you're like, wait, you just you spend all that time like lying and duping each other in the name of your professional gain. And you're just like over it. Like, I need more context. I need need follow up. Happily ever after is like so comically toxic and that it only represents the moment when you're still very much in a honeymoon phase and filled with infatuation. And when you're almost still like at risk of playing games because your interest is sometimes a function of their engagement toward you. Uh, and I think that, uh, that this is that to me, when people give relationship advice in the form of something that sounds really rom com or oversimplified is just like such a watch out. And I felt like this story was told in like a, a parable or like a format that basically the message was, even if he treats you like shit, he'll come around. And like, that's a terrifying message in a, again, self-help book. (sighs) And she used a Bible verse to say, um, it was like a Hebrews Bible verse about the bet, let marriage be held in honor among all, let the bed be undefiled. And I feel like she kind of like took her own interpretation. But I take away when I read that line in Hebrews in the Bible, it's that the things that happen in my bed with my husband cannot be weird or bad or wrong. And like, that's just upsetting to read because they absolutely can. It's all can happen within marriage and, and people can, uh, you know, people can absolutely have situations where they're pushed beyond their boundaries and comfort level. And, uh, there's, a, there's still room for sexual abuse within a marriage just because you're married doesn't mean your husband has full reign over your body. 
And this is that sort of mentality that I know I'm being redundant, just kind of is are the things that I'm like, oh, my God, you know, these are the things we do not need to be telling the masses who are already in vulnerable situations. In case, did I say this earlier? So the thing so the other thing with Dave Hollis, um, I actually don't follow him that closely. I've not that been that interested in him. I kind of feel like he started a Dove for Men offshoot subsidiary of the Hollis Co. where Rachel was like the women's brand and he did like the repackaging men's brand that is just kind of like, what what about this is for men other than like you're just saying it's for men? I think men's branding is hilarious. I think men's gift guides are like the funniest thing ever. It's like, oh, you need a gift for your husband? Obviously he needs a, he needs a, he needs a picnic blanket for his beard trimmings that he ties to the mirror. <laughs> he needs, he needs a, a flask, something with whiskey. Uh, if, if it's not whiskey, uh, you know, then he probably needs like ice for his whiskey. But like he's a man, so not like ice, make it a stone, whiskey stones. And then it's like a lantern. I'm like, can't, I don't, what? <laughs> not every, not every dude camps. <laughs> Much to the chagrin of the MLM boss, babe. Last time my husband and I camped out, we were just, watching Emily in Paris like you know I, I hate the 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 extension of of extreme gender stereotypes that exist within gift guides but um uh, I am off topic I, I don't know a ton about Dave but anyway so long story short a listener actually wrote in about this let me maybe I should start to tell these stories by peppering in listener emails now so Dave is now dating Heidi Powell a fitness influencer I don't follow, I don't follow fitness influencers, but I have a couple friends that like love her. And I know like a lot of people were shook by this news and I didn't, that's what's fun. That's what I mean by like context. Like I didn't follow these people in a way that I was a fan ever. So it didn't really mean anything to me, but apparently it's a big deal, but I'm going to supplement that lack of knowledge by hopefully soon one of somebody that is a huge uh, Heidi fan wants to give me context, but she said not on this episode. (laughs) I think people, she was worried this was going to be hit piece, <laughs> uh, but uh, it, yeah, apparently that's like a big deal to people. But I, I guess I'm just like not super enchanted by um, Dave, given the uh, what I read about him in Girl Wash Your Face. And like, there's a couple. Can I just play like a couple funny YouTube clips while we're on this relationship conversation? Because I just feel like this is a uh, case in point why you should not trust influencers who give you relationship advice. Oh, I just saw a quote that I screenshotted that I forgot about. This is from Nora Krug from the or Nora Krug from the Washington Post. Call it the non-confrontational wing of the Me Too movement or goop for red state women. Hollis is carving out a safe place for women who want to be strong and successful, but may be uneasy ab- about saying so out loud or even identifying themselves as feminists. Girl, Wash Your Face is published under a Christian imprint and is sold most strongly in the South and Midwest. Hollis's most ardent devotees are mothers and female entrepreneurs, many of them working from home. That's what, so like, you read a bunch of stuff and you develop your hypothesis but can't exactly pinpoint things. I love, this is why I'm not a journalist. Journalists, like, quippily uh, put things together so much faster. Okay, I, you know, I don't mean to laugh at somebody's expense. I, I support people getting out of bad relationships, and I do not think these two seem right for each other. And while I do not know what went on, I just know that um, what to look out for when thinking that people's marriages are perfect and that I should be taking their advice. And to me, this is tell me that you uh, have a non-existent sex life without telling me you have a non-existent sex life. We have become comfortable as we've matured in our marriage is a reflection of how, you know, 
satisfied we are in yeah. how we make out yeah. regularly. <laughs> a lot. A lot. So anyway, like if you're Bedroom in a if you are, but I think the, the note of advice is if you find yourself early on in a relationship uncomfortable to have a conversation, push through the discomfort yeah. the faster you can get. I mean, here's the thing. I agree. Push through the discomfort. It's open communication is important, but like bedroom flavor, we regularly make. <laughs> I just can't. There's so many of these clips online, guys. I would have been here forever. This is why I'm not a YouTuber. It would be way too much editing. Um, but it made me laugh because this is this is what's like the brilliance of an influencer. And this is what you could do to me too. cutting like uh, different episodes, depending on the context of me contradicting myself. So I, that's not my point. Rather, just to be like, she even acknowledges this. But I think she did this through her marriage and like really misled people. Like, like not a close friend, but maybe someone you went to like middle school with or high school with. And you're friends with them on Facebook. And they're always talking about how in love they are. Anyone have a friend who's like, oh, my boo, no, my boo. And they're like vacationing and they're swimming on that island where people swim with the pigs. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Anyone have a friend like that? And then they get divorced. We were not together, so this is a long time ago. This man never thought to question my age. I also never willingly volunteered the information. Davy writes books. I'll put her in the uh, show notes. She makes so many videos. I'm wildly impressed by um, her level of detail. It's very hard to like synthesize all this information. Uh, but, uh, you know, you know, comedic shout out for the pigs reference. I do love a vacation animal. The pigs in the Bahamas are just like so bachelor-tastic. Um, and it reminds me of when like, you know, wealthy friends in elementary school would go on spring break. Like, you know how like when you were younger, you really thought that you could have a full hot girl summer just during spring break and you'd go to the Florida Keys for like a hot minute. And if you could get like a bit of a tan and maybe a hair wrapped with some thread, you'd come back to school and your crush would, you know, not only notice you, but like imprint on you a la Jacob Black and Twilight. I said, you don't need to go to the Florida Keys. Never went to, and still never been to the Florida Keys. I, I have an obsession with uh perceptions of when I was younger of like uh rich kid behavior I always think of it like when somebody gave you um on school picture day were you like a package a family or a package j family did you get a couple wallets or did you get like a mouse pad I think that's like a huge socioeconomic indicator of like where we're at and I don't say that to like make fun of people or myself but rather like I just liked I just have always been so observant of these things people would show you their photos coming back from spring break and it was just like oh my god one photo like of a you know middle schooler in a life jacket with a sunburn petting a stingray in Paradise Cove as a dime a dozen. Like, uh, um, it was it, the, the charade of, of me being like, oh my God, that's so cool. It's so interesting. I almost developed a ranking in my head of like pictures of animals I wanted to see that I could react appropriately to. And it was like numero uno. Uh, well, okay, let me go backwards. I'd say five is like, well, I, 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 have no, I have no time, no tolerance for a sedated tiger, obviously, or like pigeons on the head. Uh, th those are like my absolutely no. Uh, I think four would be a stingray. Um, I, they are dangerous, but, you know, cute pick. Impressed you know the word catamaran. I think three is like uh, a dolphin. Dolphins are like, you know, th they're fierce. That's cool. I, I you know, Mary-Kate and Ashley did that in uh, Holiday in the Sun. So, you know, I and I've been practicing my lines like 
uh, he, he, he knows pain. He bought jewelry. You know, so I, I wish I was on your vacation. I think number two, I love when people act like they didn't know, like, rogue iguanas show up on tropical islands and, you know, will get near your breakfast. And I'll like those photos. I support it. I think iguanas are pretty. And I like to see if people are ordering room service and are willing to pay a 25% service charge. I support your journey. Number one, I know this is not normal. Um, I like a towel animal. I really do. I love the art. I love the artistry. I love the craft craftsmanship. Um, I think it's really impressive. And I have honestly tried to make a towel animal more than once. And I think that growing up, I saw so many people's cruise photos or on Facebook, you know, like people would go on face, uh, cruises in college and have albums like spring, spring, sprung or spring, a ding dong or whatever. And like the first photo was almost always the towel animal. And I was like, damn, that's cute. Uh, I just thought it would be a bigger part of my life, and I just have never had one. And uh, for that, I uh, realize I am at one hour and freaking tell animals and something that's right now. I'm so sorry. Did you guys notice I powered through this and really was trying to keep it right and tight without the tangents as much as I could? Uh, I could talk about Wanderlust cut culture all day, but that's like a whole separate thing. Uh, but I think like vacation culture of childhood is funny and vacation culture in Facebook era is funny, but, uh, now curated vacation culture is funny. Like why are all breakfasts freaking floating? It's wild. Okay. Outside of like quotes, I'll point out some other stuff that, uh, but I also want to like do it through list reading you listener emails that gave me more context for at the point they started following her, the people that used to like her, people that had interactions, um, and also I want to open the floor for people to email me at podcast at be there in five.com with their stories. If they're, and you know, whether you're still a fan, you were a fan, truly no shame. I would have fallen for all of this. Had I not read it at a really specific time where I was on high alert for kind of charlatans. Um, and I think that a lot of the messaging is really solid because it's distilled from therapy. It's distilled from psychotherapy. It's, it's stuff that changes people's lives. And that's what's dangerous about using that when I talked about um, Nexium and, and cults and coaches and, and the use of stuff like NLP and hypnosis and uh, principles of cognitive behavioral therapy. My fear is that, yeah, these things are effective and they do change your mind, but that can be used for good or evil. And that's why these industries are heavily regulated. And I think that a lot of the plagiarized and, and paraphrased verbiage that, you know, encourages people, uh, it, it looks really benevolent on the surface, but kind of shames them into thinking they have more control than they do. And that's why I get I, I get frustrated. And it's hard to like point to specifics, but I hope people know what I'm talking about in a sense. And I just want to know if anybody's had experience with this. I don't want anybody to feel bad that they followed her. Um I'll, I just read a sampling of what I had today and some people told me not to read the emails, but hopefully you understand through my tone that when I read things that I, you know, I, I feel wildly defensive of you guys that I'm speaking th through it and not necessarily reading it directly because I just, it makes me so mad that people would mess with kind people like you. And beyond that, it means the world to me that you'd still even trust somebody like me um, because I would be so wary of anybody in my position and that's why I said this was kind of a mind fuck is it made me check myself of like, what am I doing here? What's my point? How do I make sure that people don't think that this is what I'm doing? Um, but I don't I think what I ultimately decided is like I'm not in the business of of um, scaling and selling my story as a syllabus for the way people should live their lives. Like I, I, I like to go on live shows, but they're they're for comedy and entertainment, not for 
um, self-help and, and I do in the way you position it, like really does matter. And I'm not saying I'm absolved of any guilt of giving shitty advice or not caveating my privilege enough. I I'm trying to get better about that every day, but I also always want to do right by you and hope you'll hold me accountable and reach out to me anytime that I need to be checked. I, people do all the time and it's really helpful and I change my language going forward and I don't announce that, but um, if I care, I care if you care enough to like reach out to me and be like, Hey, I want to see you do well. This isn't right. This is why it's not right. And then I know, and then it's up to me to do better going forward. You know, it's like even small things. Like it was so helpful for somebody to explain to me on, on Instagram, how offensive it is. Like if you, if there are bloggers, there's these bloggers that I think have a pregnancy pact from Hawaii. <laughs> um, they all have babies at the same time. And I just find them fascinating. I talked about them at the live show and somebody was like, uh, it's, it's really, um, it's, it's really uh, disrespectful to uh, native Hawaiians. Uh, when you call people like people not that aren't native to the Island that move there, uh, Hawaiian, they're, you know, say they're local to Hawaii or they live in Hawaii, but calling them Hawaiian is really offensive. And I was like, Oh my God, I had no idea. My, I, that's the thing is when people are like, Oh, everyone's so easily offended. I'm like, well, flip that around. Are, do you want to offend people? Cause I sure as hell don't. And I always feel like that's why I need to clarify, like, this isn't a pile on, this isn't cancel culture. This is, this is a crime of character. This is not negligence. This is, I believe in grace and evolution. My God, are you kidding me? I, I, I can't pretend I wasn't exactly shattering the glass ceiling at, in college in a 07 frat party, you know, CEOs and office house. <laughs> I always laugh that Meghan Markle, remember, I, like, the, the fact that she took on Procter and Gamble when she was like 10 years old or whatever to like combat a sexist commercial will forever make me laugh. Cause when I was that age, I was like legitimately just bitching to my mom that that um, puppy who birthed other puppies, you know, I think it was called my surprise puppy. And you would do like a Velcro C-section on it. I got one goddamn puppy. <laughs> I'm still mad. I was talking to somebody the other day. I was like, isn't it crazy that to be like a feminist and, and care about these things, but to still have had a childhood where every day I went home and played mall madness and just like got into fictitious debt. Like, that's what I thought, you know, it's, we can evolve is my point. And I'm not perfect. And, and I want to kind of walk through this too, because I think it's important to share our stories of how we've kind of formed our opinions. And mine certainly has not always been there. And I think a lot of the way I kind of perceive personal empowerment as uh, feminism is, is a result of the stuff I read in the 2010s, because I really loved self-help when I was hugely struggling uh, in between businesses. Uh, I think it like it's fair to say, like, I do think the point where things shifted and I mentioned earlier that kind of fulcrum of authenticity mattering more than it's my husband just like making a smoothie. It's just like, is it like, you know, do you think like Beth Stern makes smoothies like Will Howard's? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Okay, I think smoothie's done. Um, so I also like, yeah, I don't, to be clear, like, I think there's like a lot of money in this. I don't know how much, I don't know what. CelebrityNetWorth.com, as we know, isn't super reliable. Uh, if you look me up on there, I do believe it's Kate Kennedy, the porn star, just for clarification, it's not me. Um, I uh, I don't know. Oh, and the other thing that I thought was interesting, just because I was like crazy Googling, not that like, I know you can't adequately judge businesses because like there's this, you know, nuance or whatever, but it is interesting. Like April 13th, 2020, they, what uh, PPP loan was dispersed to the Hollis Co for like almost a million dollars. Um, and I guess, depending on how you look at it, if it's like a business is on the verge of collapse, I kind of thought it was like indefinitely your business was going to suffer due to COVID, like didn't have a choice, needed to pay your employees. Um, but yeah, kind of interesting, but just a friendly reminder 
that's publicly available information you can check out if you want to know who who uh, is benefiting from government money that's supposed to be helping businesses in need during a global pandemic. I think that's what makes made me like a little bit like, oh, gosh, you know, like the anger in that video that was talking about, like, I've worked my ass off to be successful, to have the money, to have somebody who cleans my toilets. It's just like, geez, it's just the whole thing. It just feels like uncomfortable for me. Uh, okay. To provide some personal context, too, I think talking about the broader role of like self-help is really interesting and how it mirrors where we are as women. Um, I mean, for context, like did I, I don't know if I introduced myself much deeper than my name, but I'm 33. I live in Chicago. I'm an entrepreneur turned author turned pop culture commentator via this podcast I've had for like three years. I think I said that. But but to but to be so clear, I'm a privileged white woman. And uh, I'm, if I'm honest, like this uh, deep dive has felt like a bit of a mind fuck at times because I feel like sometimes my background is so similar to Rachel Hollis's in a sense. Like we're both people who have pivoted through bootstrap ventures. And if we were to subscribe to the Kylie Jenner canon of women's empowerment, like we're both allegedly self-made. But that's why I always try to be abundantly clear, like, you know, uh, to, to, to not quit your job, to save up money. Like I was able to save up before I left my job because of my college education, right? That fed into my corporate situation, which then fed into my entrepreneurial situation and so on and so forth. These things do matter. And I would never, ever want anybody to feel misled by my circumstances, uh, and, but I'm sure they have because I think sometimes we don't – that's why that's why the acknowledgement of privilege is important because you have to act it's, – it's muscle memory almost to actively take yourself out of your circumstances and clarify stuff like that. And uh, I don't want to tell the same story over and over, but for those of you, you know, familiar with the Be There and Vibe Remind or Matt story of my entrepreneurial venture of accidentally kind of starting uh, this Etsy shop and – doormat company for remind doormats that sell you on your way out instead of welcome mats that sell you on your way in that took off when I had that when I was in a corporate job um and then about a year in I left because I the, it was just too overwhelming and I needed to kind of streamline the mat business and kind of really was wanting to like pursue this entrepreneurial dream and felt like I had it in me and I kind of do but I kind of don't and um I think around that time is when it's kind of interesting looking back Okay, I just grabbed a glass of wine. I advise you to do the same. And uh, do you mind if I thank the final round of this week's sponsors? Because I'm sure at an hour and 45 minutes, you're like, hello, stale, but lucky for you, I have a code for HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes and delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. It cuts out stressful meal planning, as you know, in grocery store trips, so I can kind of just enjoy cooking and have stuff in my fridge ready to go. And the meals are ready in about 20 minutes or less. And the ingredients are, you know, already prepped for you to reduce food waste. And there are over 25 recipes to choose from each week. Not all meal services have that much variety. And I need that because I never know what I'm craving, of course. I, I really like the, uh, they, they now have options depending on where my husband and I are with trying to, you know, be healthier, whether it's low calorie, carb smart or, or vegetarian. And HelloFresh is about 28% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store and 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal without sacrificing the quality. I'm waiting for the Babat steak to be on the menu again. That's one of my favorites too. I I love making these. It's, it's like a, a moment I can like chill out 
and to cook an easy meal, I feel like I did something and I'm a really bad cook and I, even I can do it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so many people love HelloFresh. I don't think you need to take my word for it. it literally is America's number one meal kit. Uh, but if you want to go to HelloFresh.com slash be there in 512, F-I-V-E-1-2, and use code be there in 5, F-I-V-E-1-2. Be there in 512. So you get it. Five spelled 12 number. Uh, go to HelloFresh.com slash be there in 512 and use code be there in 512 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh.com slash be there in 512. Use code be there in 512 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. And get your mitts on America's number one meal kit. I just made that up. Uh, <laughs> I, I call tugboats little paws is mitts. They're very, they're very cute. They're very fluffy. Uh, very mitt-like. Also, if you ever need um, any codes for any of my advertisers, please, please, please use them. People always like say, how can like we support you? Uh, the, the advertiser conversion data is what makes people sponsor the show. So obviously, you know, listening to it. But also, if you ever want to use any of, of these sponsored products, please use the code or the vanity URL because uh, that is hugely helpful. And, you know, I'm always a little bit cheesy and I'm sure I will be in my feels by the end of this mostly because I just did put five drops of Feels CBD under my tongue, and that is true. Uh, I use this stuff, guys. Feels is a better way to feel better. It's premium CBD that will help keep your head clear and help you feel your best. For me, it, it, it helps a lot with, um, like, when I sit here for really long periods of time, a lot of my joint pain, I take it before I go to sleep. Uh, I Sometimes during the day, it doesn't, it's not that it makes you like drowsy. It just kind of like takes the edge off. And I know that's not a medical term, but um, CBD is kind of a confusing and intimidating thing for people at first. But I really like feels because um, they offer a free CBD hotline to help guide you through the discovery process. And they have a hassle-free membership program that's uh, guaranteed to help you feel your best month after month or your money back. That's simple. They also have a flight where you can try different dosages, which, which I think is important. There are a lot of CBD companies that I have a lot of thoughts about. Um, and I, it's just, it's really important to consider formula and source. Um, and I appreciate when companies are responsible and, and uh, help people with the process and offer resources. And I think Fields does a great job at this. And I don't know, I've been using this product for several months now, and it has been Really nice during the pandemic. With CBD, you don't have to, it's it's not addictive. There's no high, no THC in it. Um, and you know, if you want to read more about it, go to their website, read the testimonials. Uh, it's important to do your research, but also to uh, talk to somebody about uh, about dosage and be as comfortable as you need to be. Uh, but I, I I am a huge huge fan, and it works naturally to help you feel better. No hangover, no addiction. Uh, just a way to help kind of reduce uh, stress and tension, at least for me. But it's a little different for everybody, I think. Uh, so if you want to uh, become a member and get 50% off your first order, go to feels.com slash be there in five, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash be there in five to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your order with free shipping. And during that time, when I felt like I'd just taken on the world and built this business. We were in Nordstrom on, on Wayfair. Uh, I spoke at Etsy conferences. I, I felt like I was kind of this poster child for this situation working out. It, it, it really makes me think about this Rachel Hollis thing because the way we tell our stories matters. And she commoditized her story as, as a blueprint, as a formula for success that she sells to people to follow to achieve their goals. And... I, when I, I, sometimes I panic that, you know, in my town hall is that I'm 
sounding too much like her, but I try to remember the difference between being like prescriptive and, and sharing. And I think that when you build an entire business off of your isolated situation and project it onto everyone ever and never clarify who it's not for and or the disadvantages some people face, it, it is it's it's a problem. And, and these people thriving is upsetting for that um, very reason. And I think that the, the, the context of the time she came out is super fascinating. Uh, and it just so happened when I was in the thick of my entrepreneurial venture. And I think back on that time and um, it, what had happened, and I share this in my how I built this, but even looking back, I'm not sure I because I knew people that were listening to it, like wanted to pursue an entrepreneurial dream. I was worried that like over focusing on my misery was too subjective and then people would project that onto themselves and they would, you know what I mean? It's very hard to figure out how to tell these stories. And I look back on this time and I was, this is, I was like actually depressed and uh, couldn't get another corporate job. I had scaled down my business to where I could like live off of it, but, and I had a roof over my head to be clear, but I was so like lost and didn't know what to do. And the part of this, the big part of this problem, when I look back on it and I, that I wasn't really telling anybody about it because there was a, a major like trend and, and, you know, the mid 2010s of the projection of this entrepreneurial dream in a peak shark tank, a self-help America, you know, like I was doing the thing everyone revered that looked inspiring on the outside, but it, on the inside, I was making so much less money for so much more work. Uh, I was really, I was and still am and will forever be so proud of myself for f navigating all of that. But it, I just, I just felt like I didn't know how hard it was because the people I listened to about how to be an entrepreneur would talk about like the hustle and the grind and like winners never quit, quitters never win. And like, you know, it's just like, what? And I'm very type being kind of relaxed and, and that's not really my vibe. I, I, I do work hard and I still do, but it's just, I, I don't respond well to that sort of advice. I don't like trainers who yell at me. It's just, it's not for me. So a lot of that self-help advice um, at that time was kind of aggressive and it was almost a trend in women's self-help to be like, you're a bad ass, literally Jen Sincero. Like I, I don't, I was, I felt like I didn't know what to do and know where to turn to. And now I almost recently like realized when I'm, I'm begging people to not pay coaches that sell them abstract things like success and happiness without knowledge of their circumstances. And I, I go after people like Rachel Hollis. I think that it's because I think I stayed in the business longer than I should have and walked away long after I wanted to. And I felt an immense amount of pressure to maintain this appearance of being a badass female entrepreneur, because that's what everyone wanted for me. That was the alleged goal. How was I to tell people, you know, it's not for everyone. It's, it's way too hard. I'm making way less money than I was my corporate job. I liked a lot better. I had benefits. Nine to five was great. I could compartmentalize. I walked away. I took vacations and that, but that's the thing is it's subjective. A lot of people would love the entrepreneurial side that maybe didn't meet my personality the best. It was this weird reconciliation of like, I really felt like I was meant to work for myself and do something creative, but and I followed that path for a reason, but like, I did not want to own a rug empire. And, um, I felt like if I was open in real time about how I was, it was not at that lucrative. It felt like a thankless game of reinvesting in the business and it just being nominal increases. 
to get to where my corporate job paid me, it was just like, this is so much more work and there's no one else to do the work. And I'm figuring out an industry I've never been in before. And like, it was fun and invigorating and depending on the day, I'll talk about it really positively. Um, but I think that I felt like I wasn't, I couldn't tell people realistically how hard it was and give people realistic advice at the time. So but not advice, but like to give them a realistic depiction of what was going on because I felt like it was my fault that I wasn't like a multimillionaire. Like the self-help books I was reading told me it was entirely my fault. Like when that, that heart, that really tough messaging that was popular then of like, you are a badass hustle. You're a function of your hard work. You're this, you're that. Um, I really felt so guilty that I wasn't able to, uh, weather it out and crush it in this category and just be a shining example of like a girl boss who did it against all odds. And I think I had somewhat of an epiphany lately that my career kind of came together when I stopped reading self-help, you know, like trust me when I say like, I, I leaned in, I leaned in hard. I, 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 Lean In for me was a really funny era where I was in peak corporate America and I felt a lot of the things that Sheryl Sandberg was talking about with gender discrimination, with feeling like uh, I couldn't overcome my shortcomings, with needing to almost manufacture a version of myself, but that was more confident and assertive. And um, now I look back on that and I'm like, it's so ridiculous to act like the only the only thing that factors into like uh, women, like the wage gap it is like, oh, well, yeah, you know why the wage gap exists? Women are garbage negotiators. It's like, okay, well, we can refine our skills and our competence, but we do need to focus on broader systemic forces of oppression. And it's a problem when we just meet or mirror or match uh, the behavior of that. And I think that's what kills me in retrospect of being like, yeah, I'm a badass, fierce female entrepreneur, fun, fearless female. I don't think I ever said that, but um, it was almost like I... The, the, the sort of Rachel Hollis, like I've listened to her conferences and she kind of like yells at people in a sense in that tough love way that was the messaging. And even though she came a little bit after it, I'd almost argue it's because, uh, as the Washington Post put it, she's the goop for red states. She came in the perfect era where women that maybe traditionally wouldn't have like fought for their frustration and, and that they were feeling in like their current structure and system, but wanted a non-confrontational way to approach empowerment. I, I think that she kind of came in this wave after, um, you know, lean in or thrive by Ariana Huffington, or you are a badass. You're a badass at making money. The universe has your back. Like, I don't know about you guys, but the, these books were like everywhere in the mid 2010s. And it almost seemed like I didn't have a shot in hell unless I, you know, was a manifesting babe who took no shit, gave zero fucks, and kind of bulldozed. When the messaging was, for women to succeed, we need to shed ourselves of our personality, we need to act like men, and we need to understand that first and foremost, to be empowered, you must self-improve, which is such a messed up ideology in the first place when we're simply asking for the equality that we just fundamentally deserve. We like almost offset the frustration with systemic uh, you know, sexism by saying, okay, if you can't beat them, join them. If you can't, uh, you know, offset the wage gap with the real issues, like things like motherhood bias and implicit bias, uh, let's just do a bop it of, uh, choreography at meetings to get people to take you seriously. <laughs> You're like, bop it, twist it, pull it, 
I honestly felt like it was, you know, lean in, take a stand, pull up a seat, raise your hand. And I was like, oh my God, there's so much I need to do to overcorrect who I already am. That in order to be successful, I have to completely lose sight of what my instincts are. And, and therein lies the issue with, uh, with uh, you know, calls to action for diversity that don't actually highlight and illuminate the things that make us uniquely valuable to to a group or an organization, rather strip us of our identities to meet the, the corporate gaze of what is professional. Uh, I feel this way about the way people I've talked about before. It's so frustrating the way people talk about your voice as a podcaster, the way people talk about vocal fry and the use of the word like. Of course, I, yeah, I say like a lot. I speak colloquially. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. This is an NPR. And also why is it that big of a deal? I just think that we have, there's, we don't even realize the internalized ways we want to discredit women. <laughs> and beyond that, like, I think people police voices and colloquialisms. I mean, we talked about in fingertip tip lengthy, the, um, how coded, you know, so many, uh, dress codes and, and codes of conduct are in ways that are incredibly racist and sexist and, I just, I don't know anymore. It's like, I'm just reconsidering the standards we operate by because they really aren't fixing the problem at all. They're reinforcing it. They're upholding it. And to be fair, like it, I do think women are held to an unfair standard of likability. And that's why I haven't even always gone after people like Rachel Hollis as early as I could have, because I don't like to do hit pieces on singular women because I think women are held to these abstract standards of like, I just can't quite figure it out or I can't put, put my finger on it. And that happens to me a ton, like as a person that annoys a lot of people in a public facing role. And I, it, it, I hate it and it hurts. Uh, and so I, I understand that like almost response of things like, you know, it was, it was Sophia Amoroso's uh, girl boss, Cheryl Sandberg lean in. Um, Ariana Huffington had a book called Thrive, Jen Sincero, the two badass books, You're a Badass, You're a Badass at Making Money. I've, I read some Gabby Bernstein stuff. Uh, I just feel like, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, do you guys understand what I'm saying? I feel like there's, I can't explain this, um, essence of this era. Uh, and perhaps it was the, the 2016 election and the disappointing result and potentially having a female president, the women's march, the, um, we, we, I think there was there was a call to action for women to be more ballsy, for women to to be badasses, and for women to like resist this patriarchy we felt was reinforced maybe at that time by just having to uh, match the behavior of men or the what people we felt were holding us in place. And it created this sort of like rose colored glass ceiling where we're just making a situation that we're staying completely still look a little bit prettier. And I think that you, you, that wears on you and it's like, get shit done. Hustle. <laughs> what I say, quitters never win. Winners never quit. Like the, that whole thing where it's like all these, you know, mostly white women were just like, yeah, you go girl. And kind of over-focused on this sort of hollow um, uh, version of empowerment that made us, you know, work in overtime, stripped us of our personalities and convinced us we were making meaningful progress when in the background, we didn't realize we were distracted from actually the thing we wanted, which was to gain equality and a tangible material sense of power. And I think that when Rachel Hollis came around, I almost feel, I feel frustrated 
that this is still this methodology is still working for people because um it does seem like she kind of capitalized on the trend a lot of like more liberal women i'd say felt following the election wanting to just completely rage against the machine and then especially with the 2017 and beyond me too era i think a lot of us the 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 most tangible change i felt and i know i'm editorializing hugely this isn't like facts based but one of the biggest changes i felt in like my version of feminism was like lean in taught me personal empowerment and it was like a really important for me and kind of offsetting some of my tendencies that probably weren't my instincts but were a f- you know function of conditioning while at the same time i acknowledged that lean in had a lot of shortcomings um I think we went from leaning in with just ourselves to when in the Me Too era, at least the way I felt was like nothing mattered anymore besides empathy. When we I mentioned earlier, like I genuinely believe like the thing you have to remember about empowerment is it's not looking out for yourself. It's it's the collective of women. It's looking out for each other. And when you're you're surrounded by all these cases where women aren't being believed where people are dismissing their experiences, where we're, we're rethinking the lens of which we view what's normal with with consent and coercion. It was this whole like awakening for me of like, wow, I feel like my instinct is to not trust women. My instinct is to not just to be uh, question their likability or their deservedness. And I, I just something changed in me. Uh, and if you listen to like the Miss Americana episode, I think I talked about this like kind of uh, sexual assault I experienced in the summer of 2017 that really kind of, um, I think, influenced a lot of this and how powerless I felt being like aggressively groped by this person at a bar in Boston who turned out to be the bouncer. And then it was a case of my word against his and the person that you, the security at the bar you would go to to tell that you'd been assaulted was the assaulter. And and I know that's like, you know, that's not, that's mild compared to other people's circumstances, but it was just, it was poignant to me in that it was one of the first nights I'd worn a cleavage top like in years. Cause I'm very weird about that because of, you know, purity culture. We can't get into that now. Um, and I felt like so beautiful and I, I felt like I got punished uh, for showing like wearing a cleavage jumpsuit and I felt like I deserved it and I felt powerless and I didn't know who to tell. And then, you know, this person that works there, he could completely rewrite history. And I walked home and cried and I was supposed to be, a, you know, with a friend for a milestone. And it was just this moment of like, I can't believe that I'm a grown ass woman. And even though the way I thought I would react on principle is like chest puff deck you in the face don't mess with me because that's the type of woman I feel like I was at this time my instinct was to cower my instinct was to blame myself my instinct was to feel like I just wanted it to go away and to leave and be powerless and I hadn't and I've experienced a, a, a few different incidents in my life but hadn't in, in my older adulthood uh I mean, like, you know, I was around 30 at this time, older adulthood, LOL. Um, But anyways, sorry, I got off topic. The long story short is I, as much as I don't think we need to have to experience things to be able to exercise empathy, I think it can certainly amplify how much we care. 
And I think that 2017 was this huge turning point when I started to feel fiercely defensive of women, when I watched people come forward with their Me Too stories so bravely and watch people accuse them of wanting to get attention and the like. And it's like nobody wants this narrative for themselves. Less than 5% of sexual assaults that are reported turn out to be false. But even then, what a ridiculous whataboutist argument to discredit somebody who's doing something incredibly brave and confessional and vulnerable. And people still were trying to work overtime to discredit women. And it, 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 it makes my blood, I have no blood left. It's evaporated. Like it boils so intensely in these circumstances. And I just, I feel like I go hard sometimes on these things because I think that women have, you know, it's people love to make arguments like it could be worse. You know, in other countries, people are way more oppressive. And it's like, well, okay, yes, but also we are the, you know, only OECD country without a national statutory, you know, paid maternity, paternity, or parental leave. Uh, the family, the the, well, the FMLA allowed some employees to take 12 weeks of maternity leave unpaved. Only 60% of workers are even eligible. Like, the last I checked, we don't have the most favorable policies toward women. Motherhood bias is absolutely rampant. And I, I shouldn't even have to respond to that sort of what about his argument of could be worse because that's just not that's not a thing. That's not an argument. Anyway, sorry. I, I, I keep saying sorry, but, you know, I know Rachel wants me to fight my instincts, but I'm a, an apologizer. I can't help it. <laughs> the, I mean it, too. <laughs> I annoy myself. Uh, but anyway. OK, so I know there's so every time I've kind of like tried to figure out how to structure this deep dive, I realized I was I feel like I was missing crucial points that like everyone thinks is the most dire thing to cover about her. And at first I wasn't going to read listener emails out loud, but then I realized, I think it's interesting to hear from more people than just me about what stands out about her to them. And, um, I, yeah, I would love to hear more if you want a second episode. If I miss something, like, please email my podcast to be there in vibe.com, subject line RH, because I think that um, the the reason I, with deep dives, I, I hesitate and I often crowdsource isn't because I don't want to do my own research. It's because I want to supplement it. And I don't always read emails beforehand. I want to be surprised in real time. And that's why it was like kind of a, when I read that, one about ownership that it was so creepy to me that it like re reformed how I did the whole thing. And that's why I, I I'm always torn because I love reacting, but you guys are so detailed and I'm just so grateful. And yeah, if you want a second episode next week and want to send in stuff to podcast to be there in five subject line RH, I would love that. And, or just your general feedback. You can tell me not to read it. Um, because I know a lot of you wanted this deep dive and like, I've just been psyching myself out worried. I disappoint you if I'm honest. But I'm hoping through these we'll we can go we'll go through like um, plagiarism, maybe like uh, the adoption journey in her early days. Like we'll touch on other things that I just didn't want to spend all of our time doing when I thought there were broader like feminist ideals to bring up. I found RH on another podcast I used to listen to regularly, The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy. A lot of people mention this. If you're not familiar, it's a Christian interview show, and the guests on the show are talk about are there to talk about their careers and causes centered around their on their faith. Here are the show notes from the first episode. She was on in January 2016. January 20th, 2016. Happy hour number 72, Rachel Hollis. Well, this is a good uh, kind of microcosm or, or snapshot time capsule of where she was at the time. If you don't already know about Rachel Hollis, you're going to love getting to know her. Uh, 
Rachel and her family live in Los Angeles. She runs a lifestyle media company called The Chic Site. She and her team are passionate about helping women feel better about ourselves in a digital age that bullies us into feeling less than inadequate. Stop it. That's too, too. Oh my God. <laughs> Literally, there was a tangible transition between you are enough and made for more that I, I cannot diagnose beyond Tony Robbins. Uh... She and I chat about the myth of work-life balance and managing family time while chasing our dreams. And the part I know you will love is hearing Rachel share how reading Jen Hatmaker's Interrupted drastically changed the course of their lives. Her family had been pursuing international adoption for several years until God suddenly called them to foster and adopt in Los Angeles, an act of obedience and faith that is costing them some comfort and safety. Mm, do I have time to unpack that? Her family had been pursuing international adoption for several years until God suddenly called them to foster to adopt in Los Angeles, an act of obedience and faith that is costing them some comfort and safety. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about God calling people to do stuff that I do not, ha I don't, I don't know how to talk about. And I think it's used as a reason to justify a lot of decision-making and I never, ever want to like undermine or take from somebody's faith. But I also think that like in the context of children and adoption, the savior complex, it can be like a little alarming. And when I read Rachel Hollis's uh, post about adopting, you can on her website, it's still there. She still has their entire adoption journey. Cause I was kind of doing some research trying to figure out what was the most important thing to bring up. And, um, I just, I don't know, I think after the Mika Stauffer of it all, like, I just, I don't, I don't feel comfortable talking about gossiping about commenting on the way people handle things with kids, because I think it's sad in and of itself, the way kids will have access to this information at some point. And I guess I just wasn't surprised, but I was alarmed by the, the extreme lack of empathy, um, for the birth parents and the many reasons why, uh, it's not simple, like a mother's a mother, and it's not simple to give a baby up for adoption. And um, they got twins, I gather, that uh, after about a month, they ended up with the birth parents. And she, the, the way it was, it was explained as, as this like trauma um, at, and something of hers was taken from her in a way that I just found a bit, a bit surprising. Uh, but I'd be, I'm not a parent. I don't, I've never been on that journey. I don't know how to adequately translate like my feelings toward that, but it just, it wasn't, I didn't, I just, I didn't love the way it was positioned, but reading these show notes are kind of interesting because it makes me, um, see that maybe at this point that was kind of the, the angle. Anytime you're in the public square, you pick up on every time you're invited to talk on something or do press, people will identify your angle and what they, they, they want to used to hook people what part of your story and I, I think that's what's weird about like bloggers lifestyle bloggers is when their hook is uh something personal or involving children or or adoptive children which is just a whole other thing eventually they did not their, adopt their daughter noah i read through the whole blog i mean i just there's nothing really to report i don't i didn't want to go through her whole life story but uh it just sounded like she like really wanted a girl as far as i understand but this is why I felt bad doing the deep dive without having been a fan. A few months later, Jamie Ivey had her first live show and had Rachel Hollis, Jen Hatmaker, and uh, the founder of Noonday, Noonday Jewelry. Oh, that's an MLM as her guest. Um, or oh, named Jessica. Wait, I'm hopping around. I lost my place. Okay. I also attend that in... Oh, she attended that in Jamie's backyard in a rural suburb of Austin. It's kind of wild to me that I saw her in such a casual backyard event with Jen Hatmaker. I remember RH fawning over JH because at the time they were not friends and didn't really know one another. You could tell JH was goals for RH. She wanted that level of success, multiple books published, somewhat of, somewhat of some name recognition, etc. 
At this time, RH was a very normal mom blogger. Her site, the chic site, was mostly like how to meal prep for the week, how to throw a kid's birthday party, five ways to style a jean jacket. Ooh, color me intrigued. Be there in five ways to style a jean jacket. Uh, I followed her because she was fun and relatable. Do you notice the theme? Uh, she was going through the almost cliche white Christian adoption foster care experience, which I was interested in. I consider my faith to be central to my life, and she was a fun Christian mom to follow. I read her three fiction books that year. The story with those is she wrote, oh yeah, she wrote those, these chiclet books about a group of friends in LA and no one wanted to publish them. She said that it was because they were clean with no sex due to her Christian beliefs. Um, tell that to Twilight. I waited, I, I, I read 3,000 pages before I got some action. And the action was deeply disturbing. Ever since <laughs> talking to somebody about Twilight and they we were talking about, how is abstinence erotica? And I never got over that term. It's exactly what it was. <laughs> In my dream world, I'd have alternate podcasts that are hyper specific. Like this is me twying, me reviewing the Twilight series as an adult with very, a lot of heavy Taylor Swift references is one idea I had. I don't have, I, I mean, I, I don't have twine for that, but uh, in my dream world where when, according to Rachel Hollis, I'm not making time for my hit podcast. This is me twying, but uh, you know, maybe someday. <laughs> so yeah, I was a casual fan in 2016. I wore chambray on Tuesdays because she used to have Chambray Tuesdays on her socials, LOL. She used to do weekly YouTube rage talk videos, which she's re resurrected recently from the storage room. And she would like shoot the shit and talk about pop culture and her favorite Amazon finds. No hustle, no grind, no best life now stuff. Very little of it. Just a Christian mom with a blog because her husband was rich and she didn't love being home with her kids. Which I can relate to as a working mom of three. My first son was bor born in 2017. The little years of momming are not my thing. So again, I related to her. She was definitely building a following on her relatability. I don't remember her ever being very upfront about Dave's lucrative Hollywood career, except I do think she mentioned going to the Oscars in those Jamie Ivey appearances, but in like a, well, gosh darn wow, I can't believe little me was at the Oscars. To be fair, that's how I would feel too. But things definitely started to shift when she got her book deal. Moved more into that mogul phase. Exhibit A from 2017. Wow, I love your research. Looking at this blog post from 2014, I guess maybe she was always trying to pr privately prove herself, but it didn't come off in her initial social media presence. Did I mention that earlier? One of my issues with like the Dave stories is that when early on he said there was a three, one of her first businesses she pursued, there was a 3% chance of her business succeeding. And then she um, bought a bracelet that was like that it was engraved with three percent and to, to like i'll show him but like it's not normal to have a, you like me now toby keith in your own relationship i feel like and i mean greg and i have you know banter but i, don't, I haven't exactly gone to the engraver and i just i remember reading that th story and thinking like it's a little weird he just like fundamentally didn't believe she could do it i get you know well-intentioned feedback i just can't imagine my spouse saying that to me Oh, she's talking about the origin of the title of, of who made up Girl, Wash Your Face. Girl, stop apologizing. Isn't that loosely plagiarized? I struggle with attribution, you guys, because like even earlier I said um, rose colored glass ceiling and I was like, oh, that's fun wordplay. Because like as a person, I just you think of like the Venn diagram of words. I'm like, OK, rose colored glass, glass ceiling, overlap glass, rose, you know, a lot of wordplay is easy. A lot of jokes are easy. And somebody's all, always already said it on Twitter. And I hate as a person that talks for a living and loves to play around with 
words and stuff. Um, yeah, when I Googled it, there's like a Washington Post article from 2002 called The Rose Colored Glass Ceiling, but I think that was it. And I was like, have somebody ever thought that I plagiarized this random ass article? Um, you know, some things are just easy wordplay or easy jokes. But at the same time, yeah, Rachel Hollis is like a repeat offender, so it's not the same thing. But I do laugh because people, this is something funny about the internet. People think Taylor Swift makes up a lot of figures of speech that are quite common. And then people will send me memes or something. And it's like, oh, my God, this person's plagiarizing Taylor. And I'm like, she didn't. Taylor Swift didn't make up the phrase cut off my nose just to spite my face. <laughs> Taylor Swift loves to play with um, idioms and, and figures of speech and that she'll put a twist on it. It's one of my favorite things about her as a lover of uh, literary devices <laughs> and um like, okay, one for the money, two for the show is from one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready. Now go. Champagne Problem says one for the money, two for the show. I never was ready. So I watched you go. It's a really creative way to play on an original phrase, but people will often see original like or nods to a public domain or, you know, old song lyric or something uh, or like one for the money and I'll be like, Oh my God, copying Taylor Swift. And I'm like, Oh my God, no, <laughs> she just spun it. Uh, and then that almost dilutes her brilliance of, of spinning the words in a way that works for the song. Like if you want to give her credit, yeah, like it's fucking brilliant to be to, to, instead of saying, um, you make ordinary things extraordinary. Uh, you know, you wear a, a shacket when you're chilly. She says your Midas touch on the Chevy door, November flush in your flannel cure. That deserves full credit for its brilliance. But she did not make up things like, uh, oh, people. Oh, my God. People always think she made up rent free living in my mind. It's like, no, she did not make up lives in my mind rent free. That girl on TikTok did. I'm just kidding. <laughs> she did a video about how much she made off of that. And it was not enough money for the amount of reach that girl had with the round glasses. Bless her heart. Um, anyway. Okay. Sorry. Oh yeah. We're going to talk about plagiarism, but first this person says she could have sworn that Jen Hatmaker made up the title to girl wash your face, which I feel like is juicy and something I did not know. Sure enough, she found the article it's on booktrib.com with Rachel and the, and the interviewer says, I just really want to talk to you about the title for a minute. Girl, wash your face. It's not only funny, it's great advice. When were you thinking of the title and how did this become one, the one you decided on? Rachel said, honestly, I didn't name the book. That was courtesy of my friend, Jen Hatmaker. I was trying to explain to her what I wanted to say. And I kept throwing out lines like girl, get up off the floor. <laughs> girl, stop crying. <laughs> you know, being on a subway reading girl, stop crying. I'd have to get a book sock. Um, and all of a sudden she interrupted with girl, wash your face with her great Texas accent. And it was so perfect. I knew that was the title. I also love the symbolism of washing your tears away and starting fresh. I mean, that's some scoop. I, did you guys know that Jen Hatmaker titled her book? I don't feel like she's ever said that again, because there's a lot of confusion around what that title means, because it's not central to the theme of her book. I just always thought it was like a skincare routine plug. As it relates to plagiarism. So I made my case for random internet attribution that's a little tricky because somebody's always already made the joke there can be two original thoughts this is what i call the tj max marshall's home goods paradox a bit of a paradoxinista on our hands it's that she she finds random ass generic quotes she googles that represent the kind of self-help she wants to pretend she has the license for and it's drop cap calligraphy cutesy stuff like she believes she could so she did and she puts her name on it. And Home Goods Marshall's TJ Maxx 
they have the decency to attribute attribute quotes to one of three people, Audrey Hepburn, Marilyn Monroe, or my perennial favorite, Anonymous, truly brilliant with prose. Um, and it just makes me laugh because, or, well, actually, Eleanor Roosevelt could fall on that, too. And it's like these I, almost public domain generic quotes that nobody can really trace their origin. And I think Rachel Hollis took that upon herself to uh, do that on the Internet and just take Pinterest quotes and stick her name on it until it caught up with her. Like, for example, every year you close a new chapter in your story. Please don't write the same one 75 times and call that a life. I'm reading from a BuzzFeed article. Is this Stephanie? Is this? Oh, it's Stephanie McNeil. She was on my podcast last May. We talked about influencers in COVID. I love her. She's a really good at reporting influencer stories uh, and among other things. So every year you close a new chapter in your story. Please don't write the same one 75 times and call it a life. Rachel Hollis. Uh, so Robin Sharma, leadership expert, has been posting that sentiment since 2014, saying don't live the same year 75 times and call it a life. So not hers. Ambition is not a dirty word. Uh, Ambition is not a dirty word is a 2008 self-help book by Deborah Condren. It's also said by Reese Witherspoon in her 2015 Glamour Woman of the Women of the Year speech. So the other piece, too, is like, OK, attribution is a funny thing where even if you didn't directly plagiarize, uh, it's worth noting that you don't put your name underneath it like your Audrey Hepburn or Anonymous or whatever. You know what I mean? You can post a quote that's like not, it's just different. It just, I mean, I don't like posting a quote without any attribution, period. And I'm kind of out of that phase of my life, you know, the inspirational quote phase. Um, you know, nothing good ever came from comfort zones vibes. But at certain times I did like that when I was out of my comfort zone and needed validation, but was like maybe a little miserable, but wanted to make sure that like, okay, yeah, like this is normal. I'm un wildly uncomfortable. Um, but uh, she kind of posts these like Pinteresty drop caps up and down modern calligraphy things all the time that say really generic things and then attributes it to herself. So when she does it to Dr. Maya Angelou with Still I Rise and, you know, especially in the historical context of that quote it's a bit troubling. Girls Stop Apologizing as a book title. There's a book called um, Hey Lady, Stop Apologizing that was uh, published by a professor in Canada in 2016. And the premise of the book, Hey Lady, Stop Apologizing was, my mission is to bring awareness to your bad habits, to push you out of your comfort zone and into action and to motivate you to reach up, dream bigger and aspire for leadership positions in all areas of your life. Rachel's description. With a challenge to women everywhere to stop take, talking themselves out of their dreams, Hollis identifies the excuses to let go of the behaviors to adopt, the skills to acquire on the path to growth, confidence, and believing in yourself. Um, so you guys kind of get the gist. Okay, we're going to do part two if you want. And if you have stories, experiences, turning points, things I missed, which are inevitably a million, I'm like even looking at my notes now. I have I have a OneNote like uh, on my computer and I have a Rachel Hollis tab and it, it I mean, you guys don't even know <laughs> how much stuff I've written on this. I'm kind of laughing. It, it's so hard to synthesize like what you want to say, what you're going to get, get across. And I just like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, please email podcast to be there in five.com subject line RH. If you want to contribute anything at all, if I get enough, I'll do an episode. If not, you know, people didn't care or have enough for firsthand experience. But even if you just want to tell me your thoughts, that'd be cool. 
but yeah, I can't reiterate enough. Like this isn't a fluff book. It's not a, this, this isn't a beach read. They came here because the people go to self-help because they're having a hard time. They're suffering or worse. They're depressed. They're anxious. They're struggling with mental health or body image or their marriage or whatever. People who are struggling are looking for solutions. And if you want people to take your ideas as a fun story and not as gospel, don't sell it in the self-help category. It's sold as a way to improve their life. And it would be no big deal if it was presented as an option, but she very purposefully sells it as gospel. If it works for me, it can work for you. You angle it like, you know, you can, they can save themselves and there's no excuses. But when you admittedly say you adopt the, the style and conviction and theatrics of your Pentecostal minister father, and you deliberately, you know, use these feel good vibes that kind of intoxicate people, you, you inflate people's confidence and their motivation levels, which is fine. And it positions it like they can, can save themselves. Yet you have to teach them how, right? So how are people on the hook and in control of their own lives, but you're the only uh, path to that level of autonomy? There's no data to support that, that they can save themselves and they are in their own way. The only data point in this self-help book is Rachel, one person who had a tough life and trauma and no one is denying the hardship, but it's uh, one data point that is designed, you know, to be the syllabus for self-improvement is ridiculous. When you're married to an executive at Disney and you have a lot of money, when he invested $40,000 in your business, when you have income for nannies that you don't mention until the footnote, the book directed at moms, like it's so like they're buying what she's selling and she is selling that they can help themselves and that, she can save them, but you have to pay her to find out how through the vast array of her product suite. And in hanging that salvation over their heads, making them chase that abstract concept of success or confidence, like it's a destination. And when inevitably they don't save themselves, because your data point can't be projected upon all women, because again, we're not considering any intersectionality of, of women's experiences, and your verbiage isn't crystal clear that this doesn't work. You're not on the hook. You knew it wouldn't work beforehand, but what you sold them is the dream. They're in control of their own lives. When things happen outside of their control, they blame themselves. But people who are in a difficult place, people, pe people who are dealing with trauma, dealing with a whole host of issues they might be dealing with mentally, like they need to forgive themselves. They need to take care of themselves. They, they need to nurture themselves. But this tough love approach makes people further torture themselves. And like, you sound okay with it. I don't mean to sound cruel or be out of context or exaggerating, but like you said, you own them. And it's a Tony Robbins staple. And the people that were at this conference, like both women said it, they sent me a text conversation talking about it. I, I believe it because it's part of Tony Robbins' canon. And your idol is a professional snake oil salesman with rampant acu accusations of sexual assault. And if you learn from him this sort of aggression, this sort of power, this sort of manipulation, it's not negligence. It's not that you hope you take, they take it or leave it. It's, it's purposeful. It's setting people up for failure. You're not trying to help them. You said yourself, you own them and you're selling them self-control, but you admit to controlling them. And your big secret at your mastermind business session is that you're saying you are, they are in control while you knowingly behind their back are slowly taking that control away. And even though you don't caveat any of this in your book, women have real suffering, real legitimate suffering. 
that has nothing to do with any of the type of topics you touched on in your book that you haven't experienced. I don't take away your tough childhood from you, but I don't think you understand the spectrum of things people are dealing with that are coming to you for help. And I wish you were more empathetic and kind and understanding and tough love works with your gal pals. Tough love works in the same category with Brandy Glanville and Lo Bosworth, but focus on the optics of personal empowerment. If you want, absolutely. I think that has a place, but you can't sell it as, as, girl power, women's empowerment, feminism, like it's helping the cause. It's just distracting women from the one thing they're succeeding and not doing is gaining material power. I don't, I don't put you on the hook for fixing the system as a, as a whole when you're the best selling author among a, a key demographic of women who are or are about to enter leadership positions and label it as women's empowerment. That's what people are convinced they're doing. And this vague type of empowerment makes people think it's helping everyone and by their leadership, as if evidence this week, the open admission that privilege isn't a thing and that it's just if you work hard enough and you can achieve anything you want. So women are blind to their privilege as a result of your leadership telling them that it's not real. And, and who ultimately benefits from that message? Two people, women exactly like her who convince themselves they're empowered and the men who benefit from the fact that they don't know they're not actually gaining power. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but high level, that's what can easily happen when things like this are in, you know, on trend for, you know, pop psychology. And this is why we got to be careful. I guess in conclusion, I mean, it's like I was so shocked when she initially said this, but now I think it rings true as perhaps the most honest thing she's ever said in her entire career which is, what is it about me that made you think I want to be relatable? Literally everything I do is to live a life most people can't relate to. And she's right. <laughs> most people can't relate to duping people for years and years that they can be just like you. And if they try hard enough, you know, they can do it because you did. Only for you to turn that around on them and admonish your own audience member for saying, you're supposed to be relatable when you said that was never your goal, completely going back on your own word. It's not relatable to give marriage advice irresponsibly for years when your own marriage is on the rocks and you know that, but ignore it in the favor of commoditizing your marriage in a way that you know provides you monetary gain. It's not relatable to speak in a way about people that work with you or for you, you know, clean your home in a degrading manner that reduces it to, to toilet cleaning. It's not relatable to speak in such a contemptful way for an insult. It's not even that severe, but it triggered you so much. It was honestly scary. It's not relatable to consider people property and to give, you know, for your hot tip at your, you know, session to be that you think you have some sort of sick ownership over people in a way that emulates an abusive emotional relationship where the person has no agency, even though all you do is preach that people are in control of their own destiny. The, the deception, the manipulation, the lack of accountability, the plagiarism, um, the inability to see, to, to genuinely understand the weight of your actions, uh, is entirely unrelatable. And honestly, I'm grateful if your audience can't relate to any of that because they're good people and they deserve better. And I think that, I don't know. I know I'm, I like, I'm one to talk. I give advice. It's, it can be narrow. It can be from my own experience. Like I, I'm always so scared of like 
coming across as preachy or self-righteous, but like all I ever want for any of you is, is to be an Eliza in, in a sea of predatory Hamiltons that will never be satisfied, that never want you to be satisfied. You scroll through, it's like, increase your leads, be more efficient with email, uh, do you feel like you're in a creative rut? Blah, 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 blah. And like, if you want to create these issues for yourself, you can, and you might be experiencing them. But instead of being pushed to you, I'd rather, you know, us pursue them uh, from a proactive place than a reactive place of all the things that's wrong with us. And I think that the overarching thing is like, you know, the Hamiltons of the world, you know, I don't, this is too flattering to perhaps call her that, but I just mean in a metaphorical sense of like, you can hustle and you can hustle and you can never stop and you can spend your whole life trying to prove something or be something abstract that you'll forever chase. And for some people that might work, but for a lot of people, it's really important that you know that you're not missing anything. You don't need to be anything else. You to, In order to be empowered, you don't have to self-improve. You are, you deserve to be and are entitled to be empowered just because of exactly who you are and the unique skill sets and gifts you bring to the table based on Nothing you have to learn or gain, but based on who you are fundamentally. And it's so important that people don't forget that. You don't have to alter your personality. You don't have to act like a man. You, you don't have to be this fake version of yourself that complies with the version of women that it, the world insists they see in order to be respected or fair because that's just another symptom of the system trying to oppress you into being something else when if the whole entire point is we just should be allowed to exist women have never been allowed to exist and the most empowering thing i think you can do is not listen to all this noise and to just be like just exist be yourself don't don't fake an ounce of your being self-improve if, if you want self-improve if, if, if it's going to tangibly move the needle and if you find something that works that's great i'm not opposed to all self-help but I'm opposed to people that manufacture problems so you feel inadequate so they can sell more of their product. And in the sea of Hamiltons, I just want to be an Eliza and tell you, if you come home at the end of the day, that would be enough. It would. And I promise. I'm not trying to be cheesy. I really just, I don't know. My heart hurts to think of anybody leaving these conferences or podcasts or books feeling like they're made for more and they're settling when there's so much joy to be had in life exactly where we are. And anytime anybody's selling something to you, be mindful of their motivation and take care of yourself and watch out for yourself. And above all else, you know, when somebody makes you feel small or insignificant, tries to put you in a box, girl, take up space. <laughs> Ever since... Laura told me that she didn't until she listened to my podcast. She had never heard a woman being so comfortable taking up this much space, like the airwaves. And it was it, it took me a minute, but then I realized it was such a compliment because it's I've come a long way. I never I did not always feel this comfortable talking. I did not always think my thoughts had value. I still I just want to be a regular person telling regular people to that that's done a lot of the fancy stuff, a lot of the these salesmen have done that you don't need it you don't need it unless you really want it and if you really want it you'll probably organically find it through some sort of pursuit and that's awesome and I'll encourage you all the way but don't you dare feel like 
you need to own your own business to be fulfilled or even have money. You know, it's so hard to even make money from your own business. Like you guys, it's just not all it's cracked up to be. And I'll support you in any of your goals. Absolutely. And I'll tell you that side of it if you ever want to hear it. But I also need you to know that there's so many downfalls not enough people talk about. And you're fine as you are. So with that, I will let you go. If you liked this, leave five stars, rate five stars. It might really help me in life. Um, reviews are important. Uh, or share on your Instagram story if by chance you like the episode and want to tag me. That'd be cool. Um, if you're private, send me a photo. Otherwise, I don't know. I'm honestly, the, I'm grateful for your company. And, and even if you never come back, I, I, I appreciate you even caring what I had to say as I take up as much space as humanly possible and just man spread out here on the, on the airwaves. <laughs> All right, you guys, I love you so much. Um, as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. I swear.